Welcome. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA LOTN. Joined as always on pay per view fight weeks by my guy, Cody Safdick. You guys can follow him at CJ Safdick on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for UFC 273, headlined by two title fights, and not to mention the return of Goat Maev, if, if that's what we want to call him. But uh, everybody's very much looking forward to seeing Hamza Chmaev back in the cage. Uh, shout out to the All Star as well for a hosting us on their platform as well uh but man i just want to get right to it cody been a minute since we've uh, chopped it up with each other how you doing my brother yeah man good good we got a little bit of a vacay i took a personal vacay and things been lining up pretty good came back found out that the pfl was fixed which i wasn't even in <laughs> on the fix but come I on cody but come I, happened on. To, I happened to hit the same favorites as everybody else right yeah. so uh i was seeing if they were going to pull the money back and they did it so shout out to bovada that's uh, that's where it's at and yeah, this is a good looking pay per view, good looking card to come back to. Obviously, the three bi- the three big favorites on the card are taking most of the action, and the best way to improve that is by getting some props. So glad to be joined with you as always, and happy to jump into it. Absolutely, I love chopping it up with you on pay per view fight weeks because yeah, it gives me that big fight week feel yeah i mean that's what that's why i love feeling especially on a, on the monday of fight week to have two title fights and not to mention shamayev as well but first let's pay a couple bills shout out to cloud bet which has a couple of cool props this week for you guys to bet on but first and foremost uh they are the world's first crypto sports book and they accept fiat currency as well make sure you guys check that out unfortunately not available in the u.s but if you find yourself anywhere else make sure you guys go check out cloud bet uh fast withdrawals low margins high limits the link to their uh uh, site is in the description below and then lastly we want to welcome on board bet online as well they'll match your initial deposit up to 50 percent up to one thousand dollars so make sure you guys go check it out because bet online is probably one of the best bookies for early lines props and regional mma betting so if you want to take your degeneracy to another level and go bet on lfa or any of these other uh smaller organizations bet online is exactly where you guys can do it but uh i'll be talking about a couple of the props that cloudbet has actually put up for us this week uh, the first of which is uh, a head-to-head with me and Cody. So me and Cody are going to be stating our, like, as we always do, we'll be stating a winner for every single matchup. And then at the end of the show, you guys can go on to CloudBet and bet who you think is going to get more picks right. You know, we'll have a lot of same opinions, maybe some differing opinions as well. So make sure you guys keep your ears tuned in uh, to what we're saying and who we're going to be picking. But make sure you guys should check out CloudBet or you guys can bet on us. Uh, and I believe they have Cody as a solid favorite, Given the, the popularity of my guy here, uh, he, he's got minus 173 on Cody right now. And for your boy, uh, plus 340 because we're also including the draw, which is at plus 395 as well in case we both go out there and have uh, the same amount of right picks. So, uh, Cody, the, the, the bookies are even privy to you as well, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know why that'd be. But uh, listen, I mean, we got mostly the, a lot of the same picks and then a couple that are going to be different. So it would probably be closer to a coin flip as far as I'm concerned. But uh, yeah, if they want to roll with me on this one, I'm going to roll it too. I'm not going to throw it and bet the 345 on Manfred. You kidding me? <laughs> Value boys unite. Let's go. <laughs> What's up? Plus 345. I can control the outcome. <laughs> nah, exactly. nah, I'm, I'm shooting my guns like always. So they got my back. Hopefully I don't let them down. 
Yes, sir. And uh, me and Cody were talking about it before we went live here. We were coming up with other ways to kind of make it a little bit more fun, especially whenever we have cards where we're going to have a lot of similar picks. But again, we'll, we'll try to put that into play for the upcoming shows that we do together, most notably UFC 274, which will go down next month. But as of right now, we're going pick for pick, and we'll see who ends up coming out on the winning side. But again, they have a couple other props that I'll mention throughout the show, so make sure you guys keep your ears Tune in to what I'm saying for Corbett. All right, or Cloudbat, sorry. All right, let's move on to the first fight of the night. Let's get this show going on because we got 13 fights to get through. The first of which is a bantamweight scrap between Julio Arce and Daniel Santos. In terms of odds, we got minus 180 on Arce, plus 155 on Daniel Santos. Now, Wiley Cat is the perfect nickname for Daniel Santos coming into the UFC considering how he fights. The guy loves throwing flying shit. The guy loves throwing spinning shit. The guy likes to go out there and try to knock you out. He only has one loss on his record where he got outgrappled by a Russian in ACA, but he did fight some other guys in that promotion and made a pretty good account of himself. And not to mention, even in that one loss, he made a pretty good account of himself in terms of nullifying the amount of success his opponent was having from on top, really making him work to hold him down and uh, even get the takedowns at the end of the day. But he gets his best work done when he's able to go out there and strike freely. And I feel like we're going to be able to see that here against Julio Arce, who is a great striker in his own right, but I feel like he falls into some trouble when guys start to pressure him and they make it look a lot better for the judges as well. That's where I think we're going to be getting here from Daniel Santos, who has solid cardio as well. That's something that you definitely see on his tape as well. But I do think that either he'll find that kill shot here against Julio Arce, who we've seen get sh shaken up a little bit, obviously knocked down in his last fight against Song Yudong. I think Daniel Santos can produce that kind of knockout power as well, and he could potentially find that KO here on Julio Arce. So either Arce has a clean fight from the outside where he's able to jab him up, use his leg kicks, and use his combinations, or... Daniel Santos was more than likely crashed the pocket over and over again, seeking that knockout. But even if he doesn't, I think his forward movement will have more than enough of an impression on the judges for him to get the, the judge's decision there. But in terms of a specific prop, uh, I, like I said, the, the plus 160 on him straight up, I think is a decent spot. But uh, him by KO plus 500, take some of my money there because considering how many opportunities I feel like he's going to have here, gotta take the shot there let me give me some santos ko plus 500 how are you feeling about this matchup cody yeah yeah i think this is a spot where the underdogs definitely got a good chance and you guys call him wily cat i call him willy cat and i feel like that sounds like i thought it's wily cat is, to be honest with you yeah but dude yeah okay he fights like a wily cat all right he comes <laughs> at you he, he's aggressive as you mentioned he has good cardio completely agree he's as dangerous in the third round as he is in the first and he shows some third round tkos on his record as well he shows one third round tko and a third round anaconda choke so again one of these guys that's going to put pressure on you limited tape of what's available but what you can see, he seems real competent, and he seems one of these like shoot-to-box style fighters. Couple other things that make me nervous here is that he starts off his career five and zero, and they actually try to bring him stateside. He has a canceled bout with Adrian Yanez at Legacy Fifty, and then he has a canceled bout again with Adrian Yanez four weeks later for Bellator One Forty Nine because Santos has visa issues. That's what keeps him in Brazil. That's why he only fights like once in a while in Brazil. He's been having visa issues. Now, visa issues won't stop you from getting to Russia, which is what he does. And he fights some decent competition over there. But it feels like at 27 years old, even though he's coming off a two-year-long layoff, he could be a legitimate prospect who's made a ton of improvements, is going to come back to the spot and may make a lot of damage. 
The spinning techniques, yes, dangerous. He does seem to have a decent amount of power in his hands as well. You know, could make something happen. With Arce, his last fight, he got knocked out. It was the first time in his career he had been knocked out. But do you remember the Shaman Marias fight? He gets dropped twice hard by Shaman Marias, who's one of these come-forward Brazilian Muay Thai specialists that's going to put pressure on you. So I think the live he's definitely live. If he does beat Arce, you would think that he's going to clip him with something. But I got to go with the skill, the technique, and the experience at the end of the day. And the one knock that I'll give on Willy Cat is that is Wiley Cat. He's not super defensively sound, and he's not all that fast. Like, he does put pressure on you, but everything he throws is usually looping or a hook. Like, nothing straight, nothing's linear. He's always moving on a straight line. He's there to get countered all day, and he's super susceptible to the jab in particular. So I think Arce, we give him a... Everyone's kind of knocking on him because his last fight. It was like a song and dong. Are you kidding me? The fight before that against Andre Yule, it's his move back down to 135 because uh, previously he lost to Hakeem Dewadu in a somewhat competitive fight at 145 pounds. He looked awesome against Andre Yule. And then you get knocked out by Song Yudong and everyone's kind of questioning you. But he's competitive in the first round with Song. I gotta say, he's got more experience, better technique. He is faster, slightly more polished striker. It's the fact that, yeah, he could just get clipped. So if you are gonna go with Wiley Cat, I think you would chase that knockout prop. I'm gonna go the other way. I got a feeling that Arche is just gonna dance around him and pick him apart, and uh, that the fight goes the distance, which is minus 150. It's not exactly a good price tag. Uh, I struggled to find a prop in this fight in particular because. The best prop is probably Wiley Cat by knockout or just Wiley Cat straight up, plus 160. Screw the prop. He's already good dog money, right? But uh, my brain tells me that RSA is just going to jab and stick and move. It's a big cage. Going to take Wiley Cat more time to adjust, figure out the distance. And it's his UFC debut, right? Two-year-long layoff. Like A lot of that is a lot to overcome. I like it. So already disagreement on the first fight here. I'm going with Santos, my guy Cody, going with the veteran Julio Arce. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Kay Hansen taking on Piera Rodriguez. Uh, interesting line movement on this fight. Uh, Kay Hansen opened up as a minus 150 favorite on DraftKings and then got pushed all the way up to about plus 110 with a ton of money coming in on Piera Rodriguez. Now they're pretty much at a pick em. You might even get Piera Rodriguez as a, uh, a favorite at a couple of these spots. Uh, do you, uh, UFC Dave for Piera Rodriguez. Obviously, she managed to get the LFA title two fights ago uh, where she finished her opponent in the fifth round, and then she won that decision victory over uh, Machado on the contender series, which punched her ticket to the UFC. Uh, on her regional tape, she looks like a very ferocious striker, right? She likes to go out there, really let her hands go, let her combinations go, and, you know, in part, most of her opponents try to take it to the ground because they want no part of that, that, uh, that striking, none of that power, none of that stinging or death by a thousand cuts, kind of how she got her last opponent out of there or the, the LFA title that she did or that she got the LFA title and beat her opponent that way. In regards to Kay Hansen, this will be the first like complete fighter uh, that Piera Rodriguez is going to fight in terms of a, a grappling edge as well. Right. Even in the, the wins that you see Piera Rodriguez having on the regional scene, she is struggling a little bit in the in the grappling aspect and more so earlier in her career. We are seeing her moving around, you know, the black house and going to all these different gyms and trying to improve her grappling. And you are seeing the improvements even to the extent where she's going out there and trying to grapple her opponents like she did against Machado in her last fight. But I still have question marks about when she gets grappled against somebody in Kay Hansen, who will more than likely be the better BJJ uh, uh, party in this fight. I do think that she'll be able to get those top positions, grind Piera to the mat, and uh, kind of just have her way in the grappling room. It all comes down to, will she actually go out and do that, right? That's where a lot of people have the question marks, and they just feel a little bit burned, especially when she was a big favorite against Jasmine Jazdavicious in her last fight. 
But I feel like the, the size really did have a bearing on that fight, which is why Jasmine was able to squeak that one out. Now we're getting kind of two fighters that are similar size. I'm going to go with the grappler here. I do think that Hansen gets those top positions, and I do think she grinds this one out. Uh, I do like her via decision as well. I, I think that that's the way she gets it done. Plus 260 is currently what I'm seeing for her decision prop. It's weird to see a women's MMA decision prop that high. Normally it's like in the plus 100s, plus 150s. Uh, but yeah, uh, maybe they think that she's going to go out there and pull off a submission. That line is currently sitting at uh, uh, plus 375. Again, I feel like that should be a little bit more juiced. But uh, yeah, I like Hansen. Hansen via decision. I think she gives uh, Pierre Rodriguez a, a rude awakening uh, and rude welcome to the UFC here in her debut. So uh, yeah, give me K Hansen, K Hansen decision. How about yourself? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to agree. I think Pyro Rodriguez, there's a lot that you can like with her. Her regional show career, like you mentioned, going forward, being aggressive, two, three, four punch combinations. It's all stuff that you like, but it's almost a tale of two fights. That fight with Svetlana Gotsik for the LFA title. She goes hard in the paint for five rounds and is screaming and is yelling and is getting fired up and TKOs the girl in the fifth round. It was like, oh, oh, oh this girl's got solid cardio. The very next fight against Machado on the Contender Series, she's gassed after two rounds. But the difference between those two fights is one of them's her moving forward and letting her boxing go. And the other one was grappling heavy. She was, did not want to strike with Machado. She was getting beat to the punch. She was not as quick. She's not as technical. So she decided to lean on her grappling. Wins the first round. Loses the second round as far as I'm concerned. The third round's a toss-up up until she gets that second takedown with about 45 seconds left and really seals the deal on the round. But... One of them, she's got cardio for days. The other one, she doesn't. The problem is, is that, as you mentioned, she hasn't fought a complete fighter. She fought a girl in Got Sick that she was able to rely on her striking to get the better of, right? She was bigger and stronger, more physical than her. And then in Machado, she was able to rely on the grappling chops to get it done. Against Kay Hansen, Kay Hansen's, you know, wrestling's not great. Striking's not great, but it's not bad. It's serviceable enough. And again, she might be suffering a little bit from recency bias in that her last two fights, well, they're losses. They haven't looked good. But the Corey McKenna fight could have been scored in her favor. Right, I had McKenna bet that night. I don't complain about it, but she won the first three, four minutes of the third round. Like, how do you how do you lose it after that? Right, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. In another world, she beats Corey McKenna there, and that's her spot. And then against Jasmine, Jasmine's got a sixty-eight inch reach. It's a five inch reach advantage. She's coming up short on all of her punches. She can't close the distance. And by the way, as you know, Jasmine Jasidavisius, you know, someone who picked up wrestling late but won a silver medal for like at the Canada Cup, and her boyfriend Chris Prickett is one of the best wrestlers in the country. You know, Olympic alternate. Coaches of uh, coach of Niagara top team, like all this girl does is wrestles. Maybe she got a bad beat in her last couple fights. She's only 22 years old. Have to imagine she's getting better. And I do think she does have a grappling advantage in this spot. I just need her to fight with a modicum of ring IQ, which she doesn't always do. You need to force the action. You need to take her down. Not saying you can't outstrike her in pockets, but she's going to end up walking you backwards and landing the bigger shots, and it just looks better for the refs. I need you to let your hands go in, sp in spots, spurts, take her down. At least grapple, at least initiate the exchanges, get her up against the cage if you can, and wear on her. And Kay Hansen, even though she's 22, she's got definitely the UFC experience. This is her fourth fight. It's a must-win situation for her. I think she's going to come in prepared. Looks like she's in shape. Just hope she fights the proper game plan. And for Rodriguez... Yeah, I give her maybe the slight striking advantage, but if it ends up being a grappling affair, she's in a gym with Mackenzie Dern. She's in a gym with Vanessa Demopoulos. None of them can wrestle, but they're good grapplers, right? So she probably spends a lot of time doing more like traditional grappling, no gi jiu-jitsu style grappling, than something like Hanson who, let's face it, Hanson won the first round against Jasmine because she got the takedown, she held her down. She just fought a bum game plan after that and struggled with the size. 
fight properly here, she should be able to get the the, the win. And the line is crazy good if you consider you think she's going to win, you think she's going to win by decision. Rodriguez has never been finished. Looks like she's got one hell of a chin on her. Like she did get briefly rocked against uh, Gotsick, but yeah, it looks like she had a great chin on her. And she trains in a gym with elite grapplers. Probably not getting finished even in defeat. So if Hansen wins, Hansen by decision, plus 260. My book's offering it plus 275. That's what I'm jumping on for sure. I like it. I like it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Uh, we got Anthony Hernandez taking on Josh Fremd. In terms of odds, we currently have minus 190 on Hernandez and plus 165 to return on the debutant Josh Fremd. Now, Anthony Hernandez, I believe, uh, is taking a short-notice opponent here as he was originally scheduled to fight uh, – uh, sorry, he was originally scheduled to fight Albert Derive. Derive pulls out, incepts Strickis Duplessis. Duplessis pulls out to try to fill in for Kelvin Gaslam. Kelvin Gaslam falls out, and Duplessis is – left with no opponent and hernandez is getting the short notice josh fremd now uh fremd there's been some hype on him over the last couple of years right it was slightly halted by getting knocked out by gregory rodriguez two fights ago for the lfa title but he has managed to bounce back with two wins uh one of them via decision one of them via rear naked choke but the the guy is is pretty fun to watch throws with a lot of heat behind his strikes um seems to have a decent wrestling background but when people do try to push him in the grappling it seems like they do have success Unfortunately, there haven't been many fighters that are looking to grapple with him, at least not since his fight with Lamar Gosi. Gosi was able to get a very easy takedown on him, and I'm not sure if it's whether Fremd wasn't anticipating it, but it seemed to come a little bit too early. On the flip side for Anthony Hernandez, he's had a very up-and-down UFC career to this point, and I felt like he had a lot of steam coming into the UFC, especially you know being the LFA champion and then disposing of Jordan Wright the way that he did in 40 seconds on the contender series. But he's followed that up with a loss in his debut against Marcus Perez after he got hurt to the body and then Anaconda choked in that second round. Great fight of the night type of uh, performance against Junior Park where he ended up getting the Anaconda choke in the second round. But then he follows that up again with another gaffe by losing to Kevin Holland within 40 seconds of that fight starting. But he pulls off the biggest one of his career in his next fight against Rodolfo Vieira where he just deals with the jiu-jitsu early, doesn't give up anything, and was very confident in his submission defense that night. And uh, Rodolfo Vieira just gassed himself out trying to finish Anthony Hernandez. And then one of the craziest most unexpected outcomes happens with uh, Anthony Hernandez going out there and submitting him as well uh, and, and getting his hand raised. I think it was like plus 20, 2300, plus 2400 that night for him to get the submission. Now here he is against Josh Fremden. I feel like this is a perform or a fighter he can go out there and have a classic Anthony Hernandez type performance against. And I might get a little bit of flack for this, but I truly feel when Anthony Hernandez is on, he reminds me of a, a Kane Velasquez type of fighter. The guy's all pressure, moving forward, looking to get the takedown. Once he gets you to the ground, it's not laying prey. It's looking to get the finish, whether it's with the submission or with ground and pound. That's what's always impressed me about him. The 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 knock on him, though, is his durability issues, right? Seems like he can get hurt to the body like uh, just a couple of years ago. Remember when Matt Brown, uh, a lot of people were saying, oh, just touch him to the body. The guy's going to go down. That's kind of the feeling that I get from Anthony Hernandez at times. But I want to see, uh, like, I can't trust him at minus 200 myself as of right now, given those durability issues. But I feel as long as that holds up for him here, he should get this win without too much issue. I think he'll be able to get the takedowns. And then from there, I think he'll eventually be able to lock up some sort of submission. The spot that I do like, I know it's a little bit chalky, but it could be a parlay piece for some people. 
is the fight doesn't go to decision. Uh, I'm seeing it anywhere between minus 350 and minus 500 at certain spots. Uh, if you want to chuck that into a parlay, go ahead. I think either way, one of these guys is going to get the finish. I do lean on the Hernandez side. Hernandez by sub is plus 185. Uh, I think that you know, is probably the way to go with him. Uh, but if you don't want to be too greedy and want to cover both outcomes, you're going to have to pay slight chalk here at minus 125 for Hernandez inside the distance. But I love me some Hernandez. I want, I, I would rather bet his props than bet his uh, money line straight up here considering the chalk that you're getting there. But uh, if his durability issues start to tighten themselves up, I, I think we're going to have a problem here with Anthony Hernandez, especially with the way that he fights. Just go back and watch his fight against Brendan Allen. Five rounds of just work 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 the guy is an absolute workhorse i think he's one of the most talented guys in the ufc but it's just his durability man we, we got to get that in check if he can get that in check i think he goes out there and, and has a ton of success against most of that uh, division so give me hernandez hernandez inside the distance if you want a little bit better of a line hernandez via sub at plus 185 sign me up how about you, Cody? Yeah, I don't got much on this fight. It's kind of a throwaway for me. Like, it might be the bottom end pick on the PRP, but I kind of leaned the underdog. I just didn't think that the the line was necessarily right on Hernandez. Like, minus 190 is a 2-1 to one favorite. What don't I like about him? Well, he's been off for 14 months, first and foremost, so he's coming off a bit of a layoff despite having the biggest win of his career, and it's largely due to injuries. Like, he got booked to fight, fight Puda Hany Soriano, and he injures his hand. Then he gets booked real soft against Dustin Stolfus. He pulls out of that fight as well, so... Low-key's been off for 14 months, I don't know, battling injuries, and he's 2-2 two two in the UFC. Like, when he looks good, he does look good, but when he looks bad, he looks awful. Like, think about, Paul mentioned this yesterday, and it really hit me pretty hard. The guy's got a submission win over Rodolfo Vieira, yeah. and a submission loss to Marcus Perez, all in the span of four fights. Like, holy <laughs> crap, man. Yeah. Uh, looked looked good against Iron Turtle. I thought like, okay, this is a good fight against Park. You know, the boxing looks good. He definitely has a power advantage over Frem. Frem's a little bit chinny. Keeps his head way up in the air. He was like a minus two fifty favorite over Rodriguez in LFA, yeah. but he just defensively not super responsible. And for a guy that trains out of Factory X Muay Thai with Mark Montoya and as training partners with the likes of Justin Jacoby, like he's not defensively all that responsible. And he's there to get tagged. Guy like Rodriguez makes him pay. Guy like Hernandez. Likely, likely makes him pay. But Hernandez's fights are always quite—they're uh, always uh, over quite quickly. Like the Rodolfo Vieira fight, did it look like he was gassed? No, but that's just because how gassed Rodolfo Vieira was. The Holland fight's done quick. The Genuine Park fight's done after the second. The Marcus Perez fight's done in the second. They're usually quick fights. If Frem can go out there, land some decent strikes, hurt him to the body, like you said. As a sizable enough underdog, I think he could make it happen. Now, you mentioned when you watch tape on Friend that it doesn't look like he's that good of a wrestler, but he does come from a wrestling base. He was in initially enrolled in a D3 program, but due to financial issues, he drops out. He ends up going to like community college, wrestles in Pennsylvania, which is one of the strongest states in the United States for wrestling. Uh, he does have that in his back pocket. In his early MMA fights, it seemed like he wanted to wrestle a little bit more, but then he linked up a Factory X Muay Thai, and now he's just relying on his striking. Done a good job of winning his last two fights and coming back. That last fight against Bowman, same thing. First round, you see him use the striking. Second round, finally, just get the fight to the ground. When he does, takes the back, puts those hooks in, puts a little bit of pressure, trains at altitude, you know. This is a total pass, but because we have to make picks, like that's the business that we're in, right? Uh, the I'm just going to lean towards Frem. The official prop I'm going to go with this one, and I don't disagree with you that the fight's not going the distance, but I'm feeling the over one and a half. I think Frem's making his debut. I think he's going to try to feel the waters. Fernandez has been off for 14 months. He's not going to try to rush it. 
yeah, he could knock Fram out, but I don't necessarily see it happening right away. I'm going to take the over one and a half, which is plus 115. Uh, but again, this is kind of a throwaway pick for me. The confidence is not very high here. I like it. I like it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. Very intrigued to hear your thoughts on this matchup as we have an old man, Alexei Olenek, taking on Jared Vandera on short notice. Uh, in terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus, uh, I believe it's a pick em actually. Yeah, it is a pick em minus 110 on both sides here. Now, Olenek's, you know, had a couple uh, gaffes over the last couple months. Uh, obviously, he was scheduled to fight Elir Latifi, I believe, at the last pay-per-view or at least two two or three weeks ago. Latifi pulls out on event day, literally as they're starting the broadcast is when they announce it uh so he gets pulled out of that fight uh then they schedule him again against the latifi this uh for this weekend latifi pulls out once again and steps jared vandera on super short notice and i think that's the important part of this uh this this matchup is how ready is jared vandera to go out there and you know give us his classic performance which more often than not looks like a 15 minute kickboxing fight where he can kind of just outpoint his opponents from the outside use his size to try to stay vertical you know as long as he's not fighting sergey spivak or or alexander romanov he should be fine that's kind of been the knock on alexi olenek's game right he's a master jujitsu player but how does he get it there it's it's very difficult like you see him pulling guard you see him kind of just going for the leg desperation takedowns it doesn't look good and I'd be surprised if Fandera kind of falls victim to any of those types of takedown takedown attempts. But in in my mind's eye, I just see you know a, a situation where Olena could just topple him over with like a, a a lazy trip or a takedown, or Vandera is just not you know minding his p's and q's, and he just ends up on his back somehow. That that's what's ultimately scaring me off this fight. But in terms of an official prediction, I still do lean on the Jared Vandera side. I do think he'll be able to touch up Alexei Olenek from the outside. Uh, the, watching the Andre Arlovsky fight was very frustrating because at a, a plus 150 or plus 160 bet on Vandera, and I felt he was doing everything right in that fight, especially with his footwork. He was getting Arlovsky backed up against the cage. He was getting him into great positions. He just wasn't pulling the trigger enough, at least not until the ending of the second and then obviously the, the whole of the third round. That's where he finally started to pick it up. But by that time, he was already too far into the into the hole Andrzej had already you know gotten out ahead of him just by a couple strikes it, it's it was so frustrating to see that though it was just like dude just you got to just throw strikes even if you don't hit him make it look good for the judges just throw strikes you got him backed up into a situation where you want him but then all Arlowski does blitz for it throws a couple shots and then gets back out into space and then ultimately gets put back into those bad positions but just keeps blitzing out and landing those shots it's not like Arlowski has crazy knockout power I don't know what Vandera was really just waiting for in those spots but I felt like that could have been a really good performance for him to get a scalp like Andre Arlowski on your record would have been great for him but he just didn't pull the trigger i'm interested to see if he goes out there and tries to make up for that performance here by really putting it on alexio Linux. but if you watch the jared vandera fight if you just look at him if you judge him by his cover you're going to be like oh this guy's a knockout artist he wants to go out there and just try to knock people out no watch his fights the guy likes to go out there and you know put output and volume on his opponents and i think that's what we'll likely see him do here is traverse the big cage luckily enough it's a big cage for him here at ufc 273 in jacksonville uh traverse the cage as bestly as possible or as best as possible let your combinations go let your leg kicks go and try to stay away from the takedowns i do think that this kind of looks like the sergey spivak fight for olenic where uh he just gets touched up for the majority of 15 minutes and we see this fight go the full uh, distance. So fight goes to decision plus 290. Sign me up for a little bit of that. But even Vandera via decision, uh, I believe, yeah, that's plus 450 as well. So uh, yeah, 
Vandera, Vandera decision. That's kind of what I'm liking here. Vandera, not a crazy knockout artist. And Olenek, you know, as old and rugged at times as we see him, uh, he is quite durable. He can take some decent shots. And I just don't know if Vandera will be able to muster up a, a knockout blow here to get Olenek out of there. So, like I said, Vandera via decision. Um, and again, uh, last thing I'll say, then I'll pass it on over to you, Cody, uh, is the uh, Olenek by sub, right? That's almost an auto bet if you ever want to play Olenek. Olenek by sub is plus 160. If you think he gets it done, that's what you go for. But my, minus 110 is not that bad either for a money line play. Regardless, fight goes to decision, Vandera by decision. Cody, what about yourself? Yeah, I got Vandera. I got Vandera. I, I, I'm struggling to think, is it decision or is it inside the distance? On one hand, decision looks good at plus 450. I mean, that's a really nice juicy price tag. On the other hand, like you're mentioning, he's not really a power-punching guy in this and that, but volume might be enough to beat Alexei Olenek. Like his problem is that he fights hard for five minutes and then he just crumples up. And once he crumples up, if you just continuously keep hitting him, the ref's eventually going to stop it. And all of his fights that he does get stopped by TKO, he just kind of shells up and allows it to happen. The guy can take a crazy good beating, no doubt about that, but he is 44 years old and he will be officially giving up 40 pounds, right? Because he comes in at about 227, 228. That seems to be what he weighs in at. And Jared Vander is cutting down to 265 pounds. So the size is eventually going to wear on him. And yeah, with Alexei Olenek, he's got those crazy old-timey moves that he pulls off here and there. Like it's They're starting to hit a lot less frequent. They were already rare moves to begin with. And Jared Vandera, for as bad as his grappling looks, he is actually a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. The difference is, is that when he's taking on Spivak and Romanov, they have significant wrestling advantages, and they have good ground and pound. Alexei Olenek has neither of those two things. He has not good wrestling, but almost no ground and pound. Like he's not taking you down and trying to bash you from top position. He's taking you down, trying to lock up a scarf hold and then just holds you in the scarf. Either he subs you with it or he just holds you in it for two, three minutes and chews up the clock. The free Fabricio Verdum fight, he did an excellent job of just winning the first two rounds, right? In the third, he is gassed and he is taking a beating. It does not look good for him. In the Spivak fight, he starts off pretty good. Scores a takedown over Sergey Spivak, right? Does okay. Outstrikes him for the first three, four minutes. Then he gasses and just takes a beating after that. Vander is on, in on short notice, sure, but Vander knows he needs a win. The Orlovsky fight was a split decision. You know that they told him, listen, we're going to give you another try anyways. It's a must-win situation. Go out there and just let your hands go. He's a poor man's heavyweight, like he's a Parker Porter type. And Parker Porter would also get smashed by Sergey Spivak. And Parker Porter would also get smashed by the likes of who the, the, the upper echelon of the division guys are. But for this like low end of it, part of it, I think Vandera can can be a Parker Porter. Just exist. Just have enough durability to fight 15 minutes and have output. You'll beat the lower end guys. And in Olenek's case, he just he can't fight the 15 minutes. So he's banger boss with the submission. Don't think he's going to get the submission here. And so he's definitely losing the second and third round. And it comes down to can he survive the second and third round, or is the volume eventually just going to take over and the ref's going to have mercy on him? Like I'm kind of leaning towards the latter, and it's plus one sixty Vandera by uh, TKO. But uh, regardless, it's it's a pick em fight, even money either way. I'd rather just they hit the Vandera straight up instead of chasing a prop on this one. But the plus four fifty by decision looks real good. The plus one sixty by TKO doesn't look that bad. If I was that certain Vander would win, maybe I'd have a little sprinkle on both. They're both good plus money. You'd come out in the positive. But uh, personally, I'm going to go with the TKO on this one. Love it. I love it. All right. 
let's move on to the next fight here. We're going to go with uh, Mike Malad against Mickey Gall. In terms of odds, uh, we are currently looking at minus 190 for the Canadian Mike Malad and plus 165 the return for Mickey Gall. Uh, now, Mike Malad is a guy that me and Cody are very familiar with. He fought for one of the promotions that we uh, had a hand in way back in the day, Substance Cage Combat. Never die, SEC, never die. Let's, let's go with that hashtag. <laughs> and uh, yeah, Cody can tell you from first on experience in terms of being the matchmaker for that card it is very difficult to match up mike malott as a lot of guys are kind of you know turning him down not to mention i believe we had him uh, lined up with another high highly touted prospect at the time in uh michael karkula i believe the guy's name was and uh then karkula just kind of just disappeared off the off the face of the planet i might even get shot talking about the guy so i'm going to stop uh, talking about him but uh <laughs> Uh, then he managed to find a guy in Alan Wilson who managed to take the fight, uh, but he dusted him with about a minute and a half and got him out of there. Uh, then he fell into hard times, right? It, it was hilarious because when he went up against Hakeem Duwadu, I was at one of my boys' plays. I'm like, dude, wa watch out for Mike Malat. Malat's a fucking monster. And then Hakeem Duwadu goes out there and finishes him. Uh, then in his next fight, he goes to a draw in Bellator. Uh, then he comes back. He defeats Craig Shantani, who was a pretty highly touted prospect on the Canadian regional scene as well. Then he takes off a bunch of time and during that time moves down to Team Alpha Male and uh, pretty much takes on a coaching role, right? Like he, he said, he kind of lost the fire for fighting. He just wanted to coach. He still wanted to be around the sport. He still wanted to train. Just didn't want to fight. Then a couple of years ago, he finally gets the desire to, to fight once again. And he also decides to change weight classes, right? Back in the day, he's fighting at 145 pounds. He's a young kid. He can make the weight. And actually, in the Hakeem Dewadu fight, he didn't make the weight, but he was really struggling to make the weight. Now he's like a full-grown adult. The guys decided, okay, I got to fight at 170 pounds. He's pretty big. I believe he's six foot one. Very big dude. I, we've both met him. I was surprised that he was even making 145 to begin with, but I feel like he's going to be a lot more comfortable and a lot better at 170 pounds. We saw him take a big shot against Solomon Renfro two fights ago. He managed to stay standing. He managed to get his wits back about him, and then he managed to finish Solomon quickly thereafter. And then obviously the contender series fight we didn't get to see it play out that much he wraps up the guillotine almost immediately and gets the contract gets signed to the ufc <clears throat> i think the best decision he made is going to 170 pounds because without a doubt making those drastic cuts down to 145 pounds or 155 pounds really wore on him especially his durability right and not to mention his cardio as well that's why you see his cardio kind of drop off in that fight that he went to a draw with in uh in, in bellator and i feel like we're going to see a much more improved version of him at 170 pounds and i feel like this is a fight where we might get to see glimpses of the potential that we saw of him way back in the day he's going to be able to go out there and, and show his full skills against Mickey Gall, who I really don't think is, you know, UFC level. Like, he got into the UFC to fight CM Punk, right? Pretty much that was the whole reason he got in, in his second professional MMA fight. And he went out there and got some decent wins. Sage Northcutt, George Sullivan, Salim Tahari. Uh, you know, I, I remember a lot of people... Are those decent was, wins, by the way? Are those, are those considered... You know what I mean. You know you know what I mean. He managed to get wins. UFC wins Win. against maybe guys that don't de deserve to be in the UFC at that time. None of them are on the roster anymore. Right. Remember when he was... A, I believe he was a huge favorite against Diego Sanchez and a, lot, a bunch of people lost money on that as well. But uh, no... Uh, I just don't think he's he's UFC material. And if uh, Mike Mallott can achieve even 75% of the potential that we thought he had way back in the day, he runs through Mickey Gall in the spot. The only kind of qualm people have had is his durability and possibly his cardio. But I think both of those things are going to be rectified now with him at 170 pounds. Last thing I'll say about this, and I'll swing it on over to you. He was known as being the guy over there at Team Alpha Male. For this camp specifically, though, he's come back up to Canada. 
He's at House of Champions. He's been training with Cruelin and those guys, Aaron Jeffries, because he's like, why do I need to be, you know, in, in Hobbitville over there at 145 pounds, 135 pound gym at Team Alpha Male when I can just come back and go back to my home gym and fight guys or train with guys that are my size now that I'm going to be competing at 170 pounds. So I thought that was very smart on his behalf to make that change. Although he may not be getting the same level of training partners, at least he's going up against guys that can give him solid looks in terms of bodies. There's not many big guys over there at Team Alpha Male for him to train at uh, or to train with. So I'm going Malot, Malot by finish as well. I think he can finish him at a certain point in this fight. I'm still trying to figure out KO or or submission. Uh, I'm not really sold on either, but for him to win inside the distance is currently plus 105. Fight doesn't go to decision is about minus 250, especially if you have concerns about his durability and Mickey Gall. You know, he is a guy that's willing to bite down his mouthpiece and throw big shots. Maybe he finds that, uh, you know, maybe Malot does still have some durability issues and he can get him out of there. But um, in terms of an official bet, I'm not. I, I want to wait. I want to see if Malat can truly take some more shots. The Renfro shot that he took, it, it was a it was a big one. It was a big shot that he took, but he managed to get his wits back about him pretty quickly and still win that fight. I want to see him go through a little bit more adversity before I continue to trust him, especially at chalk. But I do think he gets the finish here. I like the fight doesn't go to decision as a possible parlay piece, but him inside the distance, Malat inside the distance, plus 105. That's going to be my favorite prop for this fight. Cody, please. Is there anything I didn't touch on about Mike Malott that you want to add? Please go ahead. No, dude, you absolutely killed it. I mean, the guy was supposed to be a stud. Uh, I think the only things I would touch on is that he loses to Kim Duwadu, he gets knocked out, right? And then he loses that Thomas Diang fight where he definitely, he, it was a 10 8 first round for Mike Malott. And he gassed, man, gassed hard. Maybe it's the weight cut, like you're saying, but that's the last time we've seen him go beyond the first round. It was seven years ago. And he did not look good going into that yeah. second round, right? Did not look good going into the third round. Lost to Thomas Diang, who was a, a French striker who briefly competed out a of draw. boxing. A draw. So, yeah, it's a draw because he loses the second and the third and yeah. has a 10-8 in the first. So it was like, okay, fair enough. The Craig Shintani fight. Craig Shintani swears up and down. It was an eye poke. But eye poke, two punch, and then Shintani goes down. But it's done so quick, right? The Solomon Renfro fight. He gets rocked, but then it's done so quick. And then his last fight, obviously, on the Contender Series – He's fighting a 21-year-old prospect who had not fought anybody. This guy's a coach at Team Alpha Male. How many prospects do you think come in all the time and he just hits them with the same little guillotine setup? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, come no, on. For sure. yeah. It's his move, right? So, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, he's looked good there, but he's just beaten them so damn fast. Nicky Gall's also a black belt. You're going to beat him. you got to really beat him up. I don't think you're just going to go out there and submit him in the first round. I don't think you're going to go out there and knock him out in the first round. So that is the worry to me is that I, I got faith that Mulata will look real good in the first round. If this thing gets extended to a second and a third round, he could, in theory, start to fall apart. Now, everything you're saying makes total sense, but it's all just theory, right? It's all just narrative. We expect that now that he's at 170, his cardio will be better. We'll expect that, even though he just left one of the top gyms in North America to come back home, he's going to have some of the best grab or uh, kickboxes in the world with him at House of Champions. Kualin is the best coach in all of Canada, and he's certainly the best kickboxing coach in all of Canada, if not one of the best in North America, in my humble opinion. The guy has trained guys from high school dropouts to UFC veterans multiple times. He's not TriStar, where guys come over to his gym. He builds the guys up yeah. from the ground up, right? The guy's the absolute man. Currently in the gym, Simon Marcus is there, right? You know Mike Milan is going to be good with his kickboxing. The problem is who are the grapplers that he's got to his disposal, right? Gabe Sagman's a black belt, but he's a 135-pound fighter. 
you know, who's he's got Adrian Woolley, good wrestling coach, but who are the bodies that he's grappling with on the day to day? Whereas Mickey Gall's has Sanford MMA, man. Like, it's he's training with some of the best guys in the world on this card alone. Ian Gary and Gilbert Burns are on the card, so he's going to be ready to go three hard rounds. And I'm a little bit worried that Malat's cardio could fall off. And then you talk about the durability. Well, he did get knocked out by Hakeem Dewadi. You give him a pass there, even though the guy's a 145-pound fighter. He did get rocked a few times by Diang. Okay, but it was a bad weight cut, and it was uh, not the weight class he should have been in. Uh, Solomon Renfro rocks him. Oh, well, you know, it was good for him to battle back in that spot. He could potentially... Some guy's got all the skill in the world. Just can't quite take a punch. Like with Mickey Gall, you know, he's going to be throwing. Like he's, he's trained with Joe Schilling for years. He's spent time in some of the best camps in the world. He's had a few decent performances. Like he outstruck Mike Perry for the first round, free gassed out and got out grappled. And, that, and that's what keeps me on Malat's side is that even if Malat has bad cardio, Mickey Gall don't really got good cardio either, right? Same thing with the Diego Sanchez fight. I actually bet on Diego Sanchez in that spot. You know why? Diego Sanchez never been submitted entire career. Fought some of the best grapplers in the game. Never been submitted. So what was Mickey Gall going to do to him? Just hold him down for three rounds? Like, it was a young version of Mickey. Mickey got thrown to the Wolves too early, right? He fights low-end guys no longer with the promotion. He can beat them. He fights guys that are still currently clinging on to a job. He's not winning those fights. In fact, he's not even really coming all that close. But I truly do believe in Mike Mulat. I think he can go out there and get the job done. It's sad. I got, like, the sinking gut feeling that tells me, like, don't put him too high. Don't go too high on it. And uh, officially, pick a side, the official prop I got is the over one and a half. It's minus 145. But honestly, Mickey Gall's durable enough that even if Malone pitches a good performance, it's probably going to have to beat him later into the fight. And if Gall's going to win this fight, it's going to be on the basis of Mike Malone tiring out and eventually getting clipped something the longer this fight goes. That over one and a half, both guys are just going to be getting warmed up at that point. So I think it hits over one and a half, minus 145. Whoever wins after that, hopefully it's Malone. But I mean, who knows, right? Yeah, uh, shout out to uh, Juan Lopez here actually making a good point that this could be, you know, uh, a, a, you know, a, a pink slip fight for for Mickey Gall. You know, he's been trading wins and losses over the last, I think, six fights. Uh, obviously, he lost to Alex Morono last time around. If he loses here to Mike Malad, yeah, actually, you know what? Two losses in a row and considering the relationship they have with him, they'll probably keep him on even if he loses this fight. But that would put him in a position to be in a pink slip fight the next time around. All right, uh, me and uh, Cody going with Mike Malott for this fight. To double down on your point, though, so it yeah. says right here, his disclosed pay for the Mike Perry fight was 50000 flat, right? So, and he wow. loses, which would mean he'd make 50000 again for the Jordan Williams fight. He wins. His deal would then probably shift to a 52 and 52 or a 54 and 54. That's yeah. bringing $100,000 to win over Jordan Williams. And then, he, and then he loses to Alex Morono, right? Whereas yeah. Mike Malott's making 12 and 12 off a of contender. Yeah. So, 10 and 10 probably, actually. I'm hoping it's 12 and 12 for his sake. But <laughs> the main point of this is you're absolutely right. Mickey Gall loses. That's it. That's it. Yeah. He's 100%. 100%. There you go. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Aspen Ladd taking on short notice Raquel Pennington. In terms of odds, we got Pennington coming in as the favorite at minus 170 and plus 145 the return on Aspen Ladd. But what I'm going to do for you guys here real quick is share my screen on Cloudbed because this is one of the cool props that uh, Cloudbed actually has up for this fight. And that is, will Aspen Ladd make weight on her first attempt? Because she's obviously had some issues trying to make the weight uh, at 135 pounds, yes is plus 100, no is minus 118. I'm going to go with the yes because she looks in damn good shape. I'm actually going to, uh, you know what, let's put 0.2 MBTC on it just for shits here. 
uh, at plus 100. I do think she ends up making the weight in this spot. She looks great in terms of the 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 IG stuff that we're seeing out there. There's a comparison in terms of what she's uh, what she looked like leading into the uh, uh, I believe it was the normal Dumont fight or the fight before that, and then obviously her comparison to what she looks like right now. She said she made a bunch of changes with the strength and conditioning. She's uh, you know uh, bringing on a couple new coaches, uh, but. The, the girl is still quite talented, right? I think there's a ton of recency bias on her, especially because of that Norma Dumont fight where she looked like she was stuck in mud. That is not the Aspen lad that we're used to seeing. She just couldn't hit that next gear, it seemed like, right? And anytime she tried to close the distance, Norma Dumont was just popping her in the face with some of these shots. And Dumont seems to have some pop on her shots that truly regarded some uh, respect from the Aspen lad side of things. Whereas Raquel Payton strikes me more so as a girl that, you know, is more of a volumeish striker. She doesn't really have crazy knockdown or knockout power. She, I don't think she has a TKO on her record in the UFC, not to mention she no. doesn't have a knockdown recorded in the UFC. I think her only finishes have come via submission. Very weird submissions, if I'm not mistaken. I think she had a bulldog choke finish way back in the day. Is that is that correct? Yeah, she's got the bulldog. And here's a great piece of MMA trivia is that Raquel Pennington only has one TKO victory. It's her pro debut it's 10 years ago and it's again kim couture <laughs> oh wow wow yeah yeah so, yeah, so, so there no, you go it does not have any tk wins exactly so I, i'd be surprised if she you know puts together a striking display that's going to have aspen lad kind of reeling and just you know getting stuck in mud again like she added the normal demand fight this is the first time that uh aspen lad has actually ever been an underdog in a ufc fight and she's fought girls like the likes of jermaine durandamy and uh, obviously she had normal demand last time around She's fought some pretty stiff competition. I, I just feel the short and rest nature here for Raquel Pennington is just not a good look. Uh, she's going to have to be ready for a full 15 minutes here, especially if Aspen Ladd comes in with the chip on her shoulder, going out there and trying to grapple Raquel Pennington into the ground. It was funny because if you listen to the uh, the commentary for the Penny Kianzad fight for Raquel Pennington, she go, uh, Raquel told him that she was happy that she's taken on Penny, who's a striker, so she doesn't have to deal with any grappling. Now, is that more so just she wants to go out there and try to have a fun fight with uh, with striking, or she just doesn't like fighting grapplers? Because if she doesn't like fighting grapplers, she's in for some shit against Aspen Ladd, if that is the case. Uh, and, and the funny thing, uh, even after that Panny Kianzad fight, she's had numerous fights now where they all took place in the clinch and in the grappling. And that's where Aspen Ladd thrives. You know, she's very active in terms of digging under hooks and reversing positions if her opponents ever push her up against the cage. She's very active in terms of trying to get takedowns and trying to dominate her opponents from on top. Raquel Payton is good. She's a, a solid fighter. But there are certain opponents that and stylistic matchups that I think are going to be bad for her. And I think that this is one of them. And I think we're getting a gift of a line on Aspen Ladd here considering the recency bias of her last fight. Think macro. Don't think micro. Just don't think about her last performance. Aspen Ladd is much better than what she showed in her last fight. And I think she is still young enough that she can go out there and right that wrong of her last fight. And like I said, Raquel Pennington coming in on two weeks notice here in a fight that she's going to have to work got to question her readiness and preparedness to be dealing with that type of onslaught from Aspen Lad. So give me the Aspen Lad side here. This is, I already have an underdog play on her as an official bet, but in terms of props, uh, Pennington say what you want about her. I do think she is durable. I do think she'll be able to deal uh, with the grappling of Lad and not get finished. So Lad by decision at plus 255, not too bad. Although, if she is not completely prepared for the grappling onslaught that's coming her way because of the short notice nature, lad inside the distance at plus 600 or plus 550 on certain spots, not a bad spot either. 
but I do lean on the lad decision. I think she just grinds her out, stays on top, manages to assert her dominant position, and uh, just ride out a win to a decision victory here. It all depends on the mentality she comes in with. And last thing I'll say, I'll spring it on over to you after this, Cody. High fight IQ shit from Aspen Lad and a couple of her TKO uh, performances. The Tony Avenger fight, the Yana Kuninskaya fight. She has her war cry going on as she's drumming their opponent's head on the mat. And then the referee's like, oh shit, this looks vicious. Let me stop this fight. When in reality, if she's not screaming her head off, they just look like normal ground and pound strikes. So if she pulls that off here against uh, Raquel Pennington, you know, praise to uh, to Aspen Ladd for getting another stoppage win. But I do think it's going to be via decision. Plus 255, sign me up. Even sign me up for the money line at plus 150. How are you seeing this one, Cody? Yeah, same way. Aspen Ladd, my baby. I'm not willing. Hey, let's go. Quite yet. I'm going to give her a shot here. Listen, if I'm going to make an excuse for the last time out, is that she's supposed to fight Macy Chase on at 135 pounds, botches the weight cut, ill. Oh, yeah, fight. good point. 14 days later, she's got to fight Norma Dumont up at 145. So, like, five rounds. Yeah, man, headlining a card, first time ever, five round fight, different opponent, deathly ill from a bad weight cut. And you've worked with a lot of fighters, so you know what it takes out of the body, right? None of that seems good. And then I don't I don't really put too much stock into getting the verbally abused by her cornerman slash boyfriend, but she just looked flat that night. Whatever. I'm gonna give her a pass. The real question is, does she make weight? Does she make first weight on first attempt, like uh, like the prop suggests? Uh, is she gonna have the curtain, which is an almost hundred percent certainty that she'll have the curtain? What kind of shape is she gonna look at like at 135? She makes the weight, she looks decent, Instagram stuff, she looks decent, she always looks decent. Her mom too. Her mom's got an OnlyFans going, by the way. Uh, if she's looking in fight shape, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to take that dog money shot as well. And I think by decision, which you can get plus 250 uh, tag on, looks uh, very good. I, I think it comes down to takedowns at the end of the day. Like Raquel Pennington is scrappy. She's tough. She's rugged. She's all these different things. But look at her run realistically, right? When she fights upper echelon competitors, Holly Holm, Jessica Andrade, she's losing those fights, right? She's getting out grappled more times than not, right? The, Ho the Holly Holm fight the last time was a real eye-opener. Holly Holm just controlled her up against the cage and took her down, right? That's bad news taking on someone like Aspen Ladd. It's a three-fight winning streak that's got people lulled that she's all of a sudden should be a two-to-one favorite. Marion Renault's 43 years old, okay, uh, gym teacher, and yet takes Raquel Peddington down twice. Penny Kianzat, Swedish Muay Thai practitioner, not known for wrestling, takes Raquel Peddington down. Macy Chase on big, rugged, you know, kind of a herky-jerky fighter out of Texas, but manages to get the takedowns. Aspen Ladd takes you down, which I think she could, do I think she should? Yeah, that ground and pound is just a different level. She's just going to staple you to the ground and keep punching away. If it does get back up standing, Raquel Pennington's low punch output. Your fights are not good. The last fight with Chase on was. She was very entertaining in that fight. Everything prior, man, is just like spam cage control. Like She just punches her way into the clinch, clenches up with you, presses you up against the cage, and just bullies you from that position. Against Ladd, that's not going to be as easily as easy to do. Last but not least, Aspen Lamb was supposed to take on Irene Aldana in the spot, right? So Irene Aldana was just yeah. going to dance around the big cage from the outside and jab her away, right? So the game plan almost certainly would have been take Irene Aldana down and pound her. Irene Aldana pulls out, Raquel Pennington jumps in. Part of me also wonders, Raquel Pennington's with Tisha Torres, right? So Tisha Torres is all on the card. Man, maybe Raquel Pennington just throws her name in the hat. I don't know what kind of shape she's in, but she's not in great shape. Minus 190, really? Is that what they lined it at? Like, I just didn't, I don't know. I can't come to that conclusion on my own. So I got Lad, and the Lad straight up money is good enough. Lad by decision plus two fifty, even better. And we're on the same page there, man.
I love it. I love it when we align on a, a solid women's MMA underdog as well, because more often than not, that shit will likely cash. So hopefully Aspen Lad can get it done for us this weekend. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Jerzinho Rosenstrike taking on Marcin Tybura. In terms of odds, we currently got minus 150 on Biggie Boy Rosenstrike and plus 130 the return on Marcin Tybura. Now, this is one of those fights where it's like, I can't justify paying minus 150 on Rosenstrike considering I don't think he's that great of a fighter. However, his nuclear power is what is getting him most of these wins. The Alistair Overeem fight is the perfect example of that, where he just gets beat up for four minutes and 59 seconds and then uh, finds that one punch to put Alistair Overeem out. Um, but more often than not, when he touches your chin, you're going to go down. He's probably one of the best you know, knockout artists in the UFC, just given his technique and his ability to, to land that power when he needs to. The fact that he made Curtis Blades go a full 15 minutes and kind of offering some resistance off of his back was impressive as well. Marching Tybura will more than likely be controlling the majority of this fight with takedowns and activity and output. But the longer fights go, the sloppier Marching Tybura gets and the easier it's going to be for Jairzinho to land that knockout blow, which is why I'm ultimately still going to be going with the Rosen strike side. I would rather pay his KO line than pay him straight up. I believe the KO line currently sits at even money. Uh, yeah, minus 110 for Rosa Strike by KO. As most people believe, that will be the likely outcome here. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I get the plays on my Chin Taibura. I get it. He's the overall better fighter, but this is heavyweights. And this is one shot lands on your chin, you're going to go out. And we've seen Marcin Taibura, even in fights that he wins, Walt Harris and Greg Hardy, to note, he still gets rocked. He still gets hurt pretty bad. Now try to get rocked by Jerzyna Rosenstrike and try to come back and win. I don't think it's going to happen. So, you know, I, I know I'd started off like I was going to shit on Jerzyna Rosenstrike. I just don't think he's a great MMA fighter, but he is a great knockout artist. And that's all you need to be at heavyweight to get your hand raised. So give me Rosenstrike, Rosenstrike KO. If you're liking the Tybura side, though, I think Tybura by decision is probably the best way to go. And that currently sits at plus 300. But we go on Rosenstrike KO. What about you, Cody? Yeah, I got the same conclusion, really. I think Tybora will be dangerous because he's going to press the action with the takedowns. If he gets them, we got some trouble. If he doesn't get them, he's just going to press them up against the cage, and that's what is the same grind, rinse, and repeat strategy. As you mentioned in the Walt Harris fight, he did get rocked, but he overcomes it. The Greg Hardy fight, he's getting pieced up in the first round, and then Greg Hardy doesn't have his inhaler on hand, and uh, asthma kicks over, just can't handle it. With Rosenstruck, he just doesn't throw anything so just stands there, man. Just stares at you. The Alistair Overeem fight, he lost three of the first four rounds and then knocks him out with three seconds left in the fight. He's going to lose the fight. He's going to lose the fight. Busts his lip open with three seconds left. Gets the stoppage. The Surreal Gone fight, nothing. Just stares at him. Even the JDS fight, first round, does nothing. Clips him in the second. But it's that ability to just clip a guy. Like He doesn't throw anything, which makes him dangerous for three full rounds. Same thing with Derek Lewis. Derek Lewis had knock on him. Is sometimes he's a little hesitant. He doesn't throw. But he just conserves and waits and finds those opportunities to unleash. And the longer the fights go, the more tired the opponent gets. The more tired the opponent gets, the more there's going to be an opportunity to hit this guy when he's sluggish. And that's when they capitalize. And that's what I think is going to happen here. Tybor would have to have some real good wrestling to get the job done here. But as you saw in the Alexander Volkov fight, he went 0 for 14 on takedown attempts on Volkov. Then Volkov goes out against Tom Aspinall, who has no real background in wrestling. Apparently, the guy can wrestle pretty well, but has no notable background in wrestling. And he goes 2 for 2 on takedown attempts on Volkov. Takes him down relatively easy. So Tybor's wrestling is not like a straight double leg in the middle of the ring. He's not going to take you and hip toss you. He's just going to grind you up against the cage, maybe try to hit on a low single, maybe just try to eventually tire you and wear on you and lean on you. 
And against Rosenstruck, I think he'll be prepared. He's been spending a lot of time with the American top team. He's been training on a very high level. If you check anything on his Instagram, his social media pages, it looks like he's just big into strength and conditioning. He looks trim. Like the guy looks in excellent shape. So I could see him coming in a little lighter on the scales, which would favor Tybor if he's just going to hold him up against the cage. But if he adds a little bit of quickness, a little bit of explosiveness in this big cage, just baits Tybor into coming into something, sets a trap, he's going to knock him out. And I think at some point he'll clip him and knock him out. So I also am going to take the Rosenstruck side. You would naturally take Rosenstruck by a knockout, but it's not that much better than the straight up money line, I don't think. So. Anything can happen in MMA. You know, what's to say the tie board doesn't get rocked a few times, but hold on. And similar to the Volkov fight, you're holding on to the guy for most of the fight. But when he did hit you, it was the significant shots of the round. You lose a decision. Like, I would have to have better better by knockout price there. But, yeah, I got the same conclusion as you. I, I, I think I'm going to pre-bet it. And I'm also thinking I may have a little stab again after the first round if Tybora wins the first round. Because then you're going to get probably a plus money side on Rosenstruck. And I think he's going to be as dangerous in the second and the third. I like it. And I love the fact that you said you brought up the whole anything can happen in MMA type of thing, right? Rather than taking the KO, rather than the money line and type of type of situation. Like we got Francis Ngano by decision back in January. We got uh Johnny Walker and Tiago Santos going full five rounds. We got Derek Lewis and Francis Ngano going a full 15 minutes. Like there's these certain fights where you're just like, oh, of course. Is there one that comes to mind for you where it's just like, oh, this should not have happened, but it happened? Fuck yeah, dude! When, when <laughs> fuck yeah, dude! Wendelay Silva signs with the UFC, and Dana White guarantee that him and Chuck would not go the distance. Guaranteed it, dude, and uh, it went the distance. Thought <laughs> 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 that Chuck Liddell versus Wendelay Silva in like 2007 would have still been able to go full 15, but uh, good fight to be honest with you. It was a good fight yeah, for at his least. Time. It, yeah, at least it provided uh, entertainment for that full it 15 was. minutes. As well. he, he, and I remember at the time magazines were still a thing. So it was like fight only magazine and it'd be like, no way, no way this goes the distance guarantee. Like, it was like the hundred percent lock. This cannot go the distance. They are both just going to stand and bang. And they're, they're both kind of maybe a bit chinny and they both stood and banged and it didn't matter, man. Sometimes it's going to go the distance. You nailed off a bunch of great examples as well. Derek Lewis versus Nganu, you know, the first time, like, like, Oh my God, it's guaranteed fireworks. But, you know, you respect the other guy. Tybor is not stupid. He respects Rosenstruck. So his best path to victory is to hold him up against the cage. And for Rosenstruck, he can't throw a five-punch combination because he'll open himself up. So it'll be one, two at a time. And if he lands the better shots, wobbles him a little bit, judges are going to score it. The rest of it's going to be cage control. Time ticks away. It's only 15 minutes. Time does tick away. So when, when you can improve a price tag, I'm all for it. But when it's only a few points, sometimes it's just not worth it. Yeah, uh, I know. I know that you said the the Derek Lewis and uh, Francis Ngannou fight guaranteed fireworks. It seems like they only bought the sparklers that night because that that's all it was. It was a terrible fight. Is one of yeah. the worst fights you can think of in recent memory. But again, uh, like anything, you do the tape research. You're like, I like this guy. That he brings this to the table. Chad Adeliger, right from a few months back, I guess. Time flies, man. Anyways, it's like, dude, this guy's got cardio for days, and he's got pace, and he's got ground game, and then the guy fights, and he looks awful, and he wins. And then he says in the post fight, like, ah, I blew both my knees out, and no road work the last three weeks. It's like, holy crap, Jesse Arnett, our boy, just wins a fight yeah. for for UAE Warriors, right against a 15 and 0 Russian, Losing total killer. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like he carries like his meniscus and something else. Like two weeks before, does no grappling, no jujitsu, like literally trains zero bit of grappling, just boxes. It's all he can do. 
goes all the way to Abu Dhabi, fights his absolute Russian killer, comes down to the third round, who wants it more, and he outgrapples the shit out of this Russian guy. He's Canadian. Props to Big Cat. You know how he gets down. It's like, uh, you don't know what kind of shape they're in when they physically get in there, and you don't know yeah. where they're at mentally. And Sometimes you just, nah, I'm, I'm going to pack it in tonight. Kind of what happens. I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen here, but you've heard the term many of times. We've spoken about it many of times. And you know when you really want to back a guy that's going to fight for your dollar? Like a guy that 100% she's going to go for it. Well, Rosenstruck, not that guy. Yeah, not yeah. that guy. He literally just stare at you, and he doesn't care if he wins or loses. Sometimes he's just mailing it in. And Tybora, he's not the kind of guy you want to put a whole lot of stock into because he could let you down more often than not. I think uh, Rosenstruck gets the job done here. You do as well. Could be a little bit greasier than it needs to be, but uh, hopefully we're on, the, we're on the right side of it. Love it. I love it. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Ian Gary uh, taking on Darian Weeks in his sophomore appearance inside the UFC. Obvious chalk on the hype train. Ian Gary, he's coming in at minus 365, plus 290 the return on Darian Weeks. Now, this is one of those fights that I had circled. I'm like, oh, this could be a potentially good time to fade the hype train of Ian Gary, especially after coming off such a, you know, an abysmal performance against Jordan Williams. Even though he got the knockout at the ending of that first round, it was not going well for him with Jordan Williams connecting pretty much any time he threw any strikes against him. But Darian Weeks just doesn't seem to be the guy either, right? He has a he has a solid wrestling background. He has some good power in his punches. Obviously, he's able to go out there and knock out a bunch of guys on the regional scene. But as he starts taking steps up in competition, it's going to get harder and harder to land that bomb. And then is he going to be able to rely, rely on his wrestling to go out there and just grind out Ian Gary? I just don't think it's going to happen. Gary's a huge guy for this weight class as well, right? He's going to be uh, slightly towering over uh, Darren Weeks once this fight actually goes down. But you got to believe the work that he's getting in over there at Sanford MMA is a perfect move for him uh, at this point of his career, right? He had that whole fallout with Chris Fields and Team uh, KF, I think it was, or CF or something it is. I can't recall the name of the team over there. But they apparently they left him 10 days before his title fight um, uh, for the Cage Warriors, but he still managed to go out there and get the win, even on an injured knee, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but he knew it was a big stage for him. He knew it was probably the fight that would get him to the UFC. Now here he is, two fights in, uh, and I'm looking forward to see what he can do against Darian Weeks. I think he actually goes out there and gets the knockout. I do think he'll eventually he'll find that kill shot on Darian Weeks. Maybe might have a tough early going, but uh, I think he'll be able to shake it off and then go out there and get that uh, finish probably in the second or third round. Uh, I do want to cut him some slack for that debut against Jordan Williams, though, because uh, think about it. It was highly touted, right? There's a ton of anticipation in terms of his debut in front of a crowd at MSG on a pay-per-view card. Like, Gotta believe the guy had some jitters walking out and trying to like really get comfortable inside the cage. Now he's gotten that out of the way. Now he's going to come back into this fight. Uh, another pay-per-view spot for him. He's going to be a prelim headliner. So a lot of eyes on him, hoping to draw some pay-per-view buys off of his performance. I think he shows up and he gives us a good enough performance. Maybe doesn't finish him early, but I think maybe second or third round, he should be able to get him out of there. So in terms of a prop, uh, Gary by KO plus one that kind of catches my eye at plus 700. He has a crafty submission game, and I do think he could have maybe even find a club and sub situation here against Darian Weeks, maybe after countering him with a, a perfect shot, dropping him, locking up some sort of choke. Uh, but even if he is the one getting the takedown here later in this fight, he can do good work from on top and potentially find a submission. So I think that sub line is just a little bit too wide at this point, so I wouldn't mind a bit of a sprinkle there. But if you want to, you know, 
just play the safe side, uh, just taking inside the distance to cover either outcome at plus 105. That's much better than playing the minus 365 that you're getting. And, and last thing, uh, weeks by KO is currently sitting at uh, plus 650. Given how much Jordan Williams was landing on him early, Darian Weeks has some power in his hands. So if he finds that button early here, plus 650 doesn't look too bad. Even his, what's his round one uh, number here? Gary, or Weeks in round one, plus 1,000. You know, maybe he lands the big shot here and gets Gary out of there. But if Gary shows up in fine form and actually goes out there and shows what the hype is all about, I think he runs two weeks, probably finishes him in the second or third round. So like I said, sub, sprinkle, but inside the distance is where my line or my money will likely be going on Ian Gary. How about yourself? Yeah, I think I gave Gary a little bit of a hard break his last time out because, of course, we all did bet him, but we just didn't feel good about it. Like, he got the win at the end of the first, but it was like, oh, my God. Like, we, we bet him at a pretty heavy price tag. And there was just like a, a bad feeling there. But again, when you look back at it, it is his UFC debut. He's only 24 years old. He took some shots. Ch chin looked good on the kid, man. It looked like he could take a good punch. Did he get rattled? Yeah. Did he compose himself? Yeah. And he comes right back. He's got big power. He's got a good finishing ability. His cardio looks good. There's a lot that you can like there for sure. And then the other thing is that Jordan Williams appears to be a significantly better striker than Darian Weeks. Like, Darian Weeks has some pro boxing experience, but his footwork is not very good. He overextends on a lot of punches. Against Brian Barberini, he basically tosses out his, his uh, striking altogether and decides he just wants to wrestle him and then gasses himself out. It's his own UFC debut. He is on short notice, but he doesn't look polished. He doesn't look refined. And honestly, he's only got six pro fights. I feel like he's still got a long ways to go. He'd be better suited for a contender series or an LFA type of run. But uh, with Gary, the UFC knows what they're doing. He's young. He's brash. He's a Patty Pimblet type where he's very good on the microphone, and he's got a very fancy skill set as well. They're looking to match these guys up soft. And I love fading prospects. I love fading European prospects. The main thing, though, is, is who are you fading them against? Because people were talking nonsense like, oh, Kazula Vargas, the line looks pretty wide. Don't bet Kazula Vargas because I can tell you what's happening here. The UFC setting it up so Patty wins. Patty can be a star. You look at this card, dude. It is a red. It is just Riches on the prelims. You got Yarazina Rosenstruck, one of the biggest power punches the division's ever seen in a fun heavyweight fight. Aspen Ladd, Cody's Bebe versus Raquel Pennington, who's got wins over Misha Tate and his former UFC title challenger. Mickey Gall has got a win over CM Punk. He had tons of name cachet versus Mike Milan, supposed to be one of the best prospects in Canada once upon a time. Alexei Olenek, an OG legend who is universally loved by pretty much everybody. In another fight, fun heavyweight tussle. And the rest of it is not going anywhere anytime soon. But... This is lots that you could pick from, but they put Ian Gary, 1-0 in the UFC. They let him select his opponent. Sanford MMA gets together. They say Weeks is the guy. They match him up with Weeks. And it's set up for him to win and to look good. I think he does that. This comes down to another of you don't need to chase the price too much. I think he's going to get it by done by TKO, which is plus 110. But the inside the distance is minus 110. So, yes, take the inside the distance. Don't chase the extra 20 points because, as you mentioned, the submission's on the table. It's there. It could happen. And for 20 points, don't chase the plus 110. Just take the minus 110 and have it inside the distance. Covers you both sides. I like it. I'm glad that we kind of aligned there. Again, this was one of those spots where I'm like, I want to fade Ian Gary, but 
This is just not the opponent to do it with. I'm glad that we're on the same side there. All right. That is a wrap on the prelims for UFC 273. Shout out to the 100 live viewers that we currently have joining us on this Thursday afternoon. Make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe for the All-Star. Show them some support. Show them that you guys appreciate us dropping these props for you guys. And then obviously shout out to the sponsors for the show as well. The first of which, which is CloudBet, uh, the first, the world's first crypto sports book. They accept fiat currencies as well. Unfortunately, it's not available to us customers but if you're anywhere else in the world make sure you guys go check it out uh fast withdrawals low margins high limits cloudbed is definitely one of the best places to go not to mention they have uh the the lad whether she makes weight uh prop up for you guys as i showed when we went over that lad fight they also have a hype train parlay uh of uh hamza chamayev and ian gary minus 182 for them to win or i believe it's plus 150 ish if you don't think both of them get the win um yeah, so, so make sure you guys go check out CloudBet. And then lastly, make sure you guys check out Bet Online as well. Probably one of the best bookies for MMA because they have a ton of promotions that you can bet on. KSW, LFA, uh, Bellator, PFL, all that stuff. Uh, it's all on Bet Online. Make sure you guys go check them out. 50% welcome bonus up to $1,000. Link to them is in the description below. Show them some love and then obviously once again shout out to the all-star for hosting us on their platform all right cody let's get into the main card here and we got a great fight starting things off here with vince michelle taking on mark madsen in terms of odds we currently have minus 120 minus 125 i'll say on vince michelle plus 105 on mark madsen uh some steady love coming in on mark madsen over the last couple of days as vince michelle was closer to minus 140 and minus 150 earlier this week but people think the Greco-Roman Olympian can get his work done here by uh, taking Vince Michelle down, putting him through the grinder, and trying to take home either a submission or a decision victory. Those are likely his best paths to victory. But Vince from hell, Pichelle, is one of the toughest fighters out there to go out there and fight. The guy brings it with the striking. He's a factory X product. He knows what he's doing in the cage, especially with the striking. And when he is on, he puts on great performances, and he's a great soldier to send out there to try to fight for your money. Mark Madsen, very interesting approach in his last fight against Clay Guida, where he just went out there and just used the threat of takedowns, like the mental threat of it, to just let his striking go. And he was able to let his striking go, and it was a close fight with split uh, with uh, Clay, Clay Guida. I believe it went to a split decision, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Mark Madsen gets his hand raised in a very unorthodox way, right? Striking. We didn't expect him to go out there and just strike with Clay Guida. But the fight before that is the kind of the, the red flag, right? He goes out there and fights Austin Hubbard, wins a decision there, but looks like he was getting close to being finished in that third round. It's obvious. When you're grappling, you're using way more cardio. And it seems like Mark Madsen is still trying to find that happy medium where he can go out there and use his grappling and his striking and not be completely gassed out come round three. Uh, Austin Hubbard was very close to getting that finish. If it was Vince Pichel in there, I think Pichel probably would have really stepped on the gas and got to finish himself. Solid cardio in his own right as well. Uh, so I'm interested to see what the approach is here for Mark Madsen. Is he going to go out there and try to strike with them for 15 minutes? Because I think that's a bad idea if he chooses to do so. So he's going to have to mix in some takedowns here. But, you know, even in the loss to Gregor Gillespie for Vince Pichel, you see great get-ups from him. You see him making it difficult for Gregor to really assert that top position. Obviously, he gets submitted in the second round there, but we saw some good things in that fight. 
I do think that also that uh, Gregor Gillespie is a much better submission artist than what Mark Madsen brings to the table. But even in other fights where you see Vince Pichel getting taken down, uh, it, it's it's very difficult to hold him down. And I think that's where Mark Madsen is going to struggle in this fight. So he might win the first round, but the longer that this fight goes, it'll be great entries for Vince Pichel on the live line if you like live betting. I think it's very uh, going to be a very good idea to go out there and bet him going into the second round and maybe even into the third round. But uh, I love me some Vince Michelle, man. I think he gets him out of there late in this fight. I love the round three at plus 1,000. Uh, if you guys have access to FanDuel, shout out to FanDuel, who just opened up here in Ontario. They have a line hanging at round three and decision for Vince Michelle at plus 130. I think that's a great freaking line because he could absolutely win that second round with his striking but he could potentially find the finish in the third or eventually get that uh, decision victory as well. So I'm going Vince Michelle. Uh, round three slash decision plus 130. If you have access to that, that's the one that I'm going with. I'm also taking some round three plus 1,000. Uh, but even Vince Michelle money line around plus one or minus 125, minus 130. I think that's a damn good spot as well. Uh, Cody, I know you co-host the show with uh, the Vince Michelle Whisperer and Paul Shaughnessy. Uh, I didn't get to hear his take on it yet, but I'm curious to know, did he have any impact on your decision for this fight? And ultimately, who do you think ends up winning this fight? Yeah, I mean, I did the tape study on it and suggested Vince Michelle, and then he came in out and said that he thought Vince Michelle would win the fight as well. And yeah, I'm feeling it. What I think the move is, though, is that as far as props go, we'll get it out of the way. I think Vince Michelle wins by decision, plus 155. you got a feeling that the fight's going to go the distance as well, and that would cover you even if he does lose. But the move is to live about this thing after the first round, because Vince is likely going to lose the first round. <laughs> he shows 25% takedown defense in the UFC. Not a good look. Gets taken down all the time. Been taken down his last three fights. Madsen is going to take him down. It's as you mentioned, he's got a good get-up game. He's a BJJ black belt. He's trained with some pretty good guys. He's very physically strong. And when you do take him down, he's always working, working to get back up. And it's very exhausting. And that was the main takeaway from Mark Madsen against Austin Hubbard. He's got this kid overmatched. Austin Hubbard can't wrestle, right? He's young. He's inexperienced. He's not as physically strong as you. This guy's an Olympic silver medalist. What do you think he's going to do to Austin Hubbard? But all of his takedowns, it's not easy money stuff. It's not like Habib where they'll just lift you slightly off your foot and then trip you to the ground. He's suplexing guys. He's going balls to the walls with these explosive techniques. And even Austin Hubbard's getting up. Guy wins the first two rounds. Hubbard wins the third. Not a great look. <clears throat> then you get the Clay Guida fight. Well, he could out-wrestle Clay Guida. Of course he could. He's a much better wrestler. But he shot one takedown. He shot 12 against Hubbard. The very next fight he shot one. Instead, he decided to just jab with Clay Guida the whole time. And by the way, Clay Guida chewed up his lead leg bad. There's another yeah. problem. Vince Michelle loves chewing up the lead leg. Landed something like 22 um, leg kicks in his last fight, right? He likes to chew up the lead leg. That's going to be another weapon that's available to him. So if he goes out there, backs him up with a jab, chews up the lead leg, causes Madsen to shoot a reactionary takedown, exhausts him a little bit, the longer this thing goes, you would think it plays towards Vince Michelle. But almost certainly the early portion of the fight should be towards Madsen's until he starts to tire. So I think you're going to get a much better price tag after he drops the first round on the basis of getting taken down. You hope that he works his way back into it in the second. and the third round, it should be all Vince Michelle. Is it enough to get a finish? I don't know. Paul also likes the third round TKO prop for Vince Michelle. You can see it happening. And honestly, dude, like what's his loss recently? Gregor Gillespie. When you watch the fights, like <laughs> Vince fights pretty good. It's that Gregor's a beast, man. Yeah. He don't tire. He just doesn't go anywhere. Just keeps going and going and going. That's what Madsen doesn't do. Madsen seems to maybe fatigue a little bit. He's 37 years old. His durability, I mean, Hubbard's not a power puncher, and I would not suggest that Clay Guida is a power puncher as well. And not to say that Vince is, 
it's that you're getting touched up from this guy who's got a good power jab on him, likes to make it a scrappy fight, is tough, durable. BJJ black belt, probably going to nullify a lot of that top control. You have bad top control to begin with. It all kind of it all kind of racks up. I made the joke to Paul yesterday. I was like, dude, there's a reason why he's a silver medalist and not a gold medalist, right? <laughs> but 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 the theory here is that when the getting gets tough, Vince is the one that they call him from hell because he's willing to go to hell to get that victory. And that hopefully is the difference maker. I think I saw yesterday my boy Daniel Levy is taking a shot at Mads. Yeah, like yeah, so you gotta respect what a what a good guy like Levy has to say about it. But it's MMA. It's anything can happen. You guys like Carl Rosa a few weeks back as well. Same shit. Like you, McMahon could do it, just probably won't. I like he's McMahon, a fan, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Foxy. I thought Carl Rosa initially. Like, how's she gonna lose this one, right? But it's, you're you're banking on McMahon's going to quit because she usually quits. What if she doesn't? What if she just secures takedowns in the first two rounds? It's easy. It's easy. You have a significant wrestling advantage. Matson has a significant wrestling advantage. He could use it the same way that McMahon did. Secure takedowns in the first two rounds, survive the third. Could happen. I'm just no for a fact Vince Michelle's better off his back than Carol Rosa. So I'm hoping get up and get it. Right? <laughs> I, I was at uh, Vince Michelle's last fight against Austin Hubbard at, at the Apex and just hearing him just fire up the crowd in between rounds and all that yeah. stuff. That motherfucker is a fighter by, by all means. He likes to go out there and throw down. I want to get your thoughts on one last thing in regards to this matchup. Uh, I'm seeing some people kind of shit on other people for saying that Mark Madsen has cardio issues because he went a full three rounds with Clay Guida, right? The difference in those, obviously, is he just got to strike. And even if you listen to the corners, like you can hear the corners a little bit, even in that first round, you can hear them saying, Mark, breathe. Make sure you're breathing. Like there's, They know that he can stay safe in the striking realm and kind of just manage his gas tank a lot better rather than just going out there and going rabies with his uh, with his takedowns and, and just expending all of his energy that way. He's going to have to go for takedowns here, and that's ultimately going to tax his cardio just like it has in past fights. What are your thoughts on, uh, on his cardio narrative? Yeah, so again, I think there's a difference between like real life cardio and then fight cardio or everyday cardio and fight cardio. And Madsen has great everyday regular life cardio. I'll tell you a story about him. So he signs to the UFC, he's like 35 years old, and they fly him in from Denmark to the UFC Performance Institute in Las Vegas, and they run a series of like athletic tests on you. He like maxes out every single category. They had listed him as the best physical specimen that they had tested to that point at the Institute. Guys are just an absolute animal. So believing that he's an absolute animal animal watching his regional show career stuff where he's tossing guys on their head with these beautiful belly-to-back suplexes i'm all in on him against austin hubbard all in on the guy against hubbard but he didn't look good you can't you can't deny the fact that he got tired in that spot let's call it his debut let's call it the eight takedowns on 12 attempts let's call it all these different things we give him a pass the fact that he doesn't shoot takedowns against clay guida is indicative is that he knows his cardio is going to be a little suspect here. He knows if he uses that explosive movement, that's going to tire him out. Sure, the guy's got good cardio if he's able to pace himself. And against a certain level of opposition, you can pace yourself. Then there's other guys that we classify as junkyard dogs. There's other guys like Vince Michelle, who came back from a reconstructive bicep surgery to go on another fat run in the UFC. The guy wins fights because he has the desire to fight to the last breath. And against a guy who's a, more of a finesse guy like Mark Madsen, I think that when someone's pressuring you, you have to fight them back. As you fight them back, you tire yourself out. I watched this interesting fight. God, what was it? Maybe it was the Cage Warriors card last week. Might have been something else. 
Might have been the XMMA card. I don't know. Those fights just started all looped together. Anyways, ah, it was the XMMA card. Yeah, it was like the second fight and the guy's a wrestler. He's like, this guy's an idiot. This guy's an idiot. He's like, we clinched up and he he tried to grab a hold of me and try to like strength on me. He's like, this is a three-round fight, you idiot. Blah, 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 blah. Like, <laughs> he, he wasn't very like, you know, smart in saying it, but what he's saying makes so much sense. It's like when you go in there and you tie up with a guy, you don't just squeeze as hard as you can. You don't just try to balls to the walls. You need to conserve yourself. There has to be a certain amount of pace there. Madsen's a wrestler. He wrestles in a six to eight minute format, right? Where you're going to just go shoot and shoot and shoot. And then all of a sudden they're going to say, okay, yeah, I'll get, change position. Oh, a little timeout, a little break. This is different. This is 15 full minutes of somebody coming at you. Hubbard's young and inexperienced. You know, you can get a win over a guy like that. Clay Guida is by no stretch of the imagination a striker. And this is a split decision win. By the way, I had Madsen. I'm sure you did as well. Did anybody feel good about it? Like it was a, it was a dicey ass striking affair with Clay Guida, and now you got Vince Bichel. Vince Bichel is not a very sexy name in the division. He fights once a year, right? I think he's been in the UFC for ten years. And he's got nine fights, nine fights in ten years. He doesn't have some big name. He doesn't beat super ranked contenders. But the guy shows up. The Jim Miller fight to me, you know, everything you need to see about Vince. And then he has a quick turnaround by his standards take out austin hubbard and same thing just puts pressure on these guys and breaks them down but i would think that he's live to beat madsen now you know it's the line looks good to me minus 125 honestly as far as the money line goes that like looks pretty good to me i agree with it but you can get plus 155 on a decision that's kind of how i'm seeing it go i'll take that as well but i'm almost positive we can get a better line of special after the first round and then hope that he uh, rallies back and does what he's got to do Love it. I love it. I love it. All right. Let's keep this moving along because we got a great fight next. Uh, a strawway belt between Mackenzie Dern and Tisha Torres. In terms of odds, we currently have a pick'em fight. Maybe Mackenzie Dern minus 120 at a couple spots, but uh, this one has kind of been going up and down a little bit. I think I saw Mackenzie Dern closer to 130 at a certain point, but me, myself, I pull the trigger on Tisha Torres at plus 100 money line. I think that's a great spot for her. Um, Here's a, here's some just a quick fact for you about Mackenzie Dern and her takedowns. She's three of twenty eight in the UFC on takedown attempts. Absolutely atrocious. Ten percent, close to ten percent takedown accuracy for Mackenzie Dern. However, she's still pulling off submissions against girls like Randa Marcos and Hannah Cyphers because they're willing to go down and follow her to the ground for some reason. Even while Randa Marcos all fight week is saying, "I'm not going to follow her to the ground. I'm not going to take this to the ground. I'm going to outstrike her." And the first opportunity she gets to follow her to the ground, she ju jumps on top of it for some reason. And then obviously she gets finished there. Tisha Torres is very difficult to finish. She's fought the who's who in this division and never been finished in her professional MMA career. She is, to me, she reminds me of like the Neil Magny, right? The veteran that goes in there and beats the opponents that they're supposed to beat, right? He goes out there, he beats Max Griffin. He had a scare in that first round, but he manages to beat Max Griffin. Matisse Torres goes out there, you know, disrespected by the odds makers against Brianna Van Buren, comes in as a plus 190, plus 180 underdog, cashes that ticket with relative ease. And Brianna Van Buren landed two takedowns in that entire fight. I think she went two of seven on takedowns. And she is probably the best... MMA wrestler that Tisha Torres has fought in the last, you know, handful of fights. She's obviously way better than what Mackenzie Dern is going to bring to the table. But Tisha did a good job. Even when she got taken down those two times in the first round, she got right back to her feet. The control time numbers that you're seeing on Brianna Van Buren that night, excuse me, was the clinching that Brianna was able to be successful with pushing her up against the cage. I think with the bigger cage here, 
the speed advantage that Tisha Torres is going to be at. She'll be able to traverse the cage pretty well here, land her strikes, get away before uh, Mackenzie Jordan can even get her hands around her. And then from there, she should be able to just keep touching her up. Um, Tisha Torres, not a notorious finisher, although I am kind of, you know, I'm getting a little tickle to bet the, the TKO here at plus 600, considering that if she does go out there and touch up Mackenzie during the way that I think she would, she could potentially get a, an accumulative uh, TKO finish here against her. Now, I get it. Marina Rodriguez had five rounds to go out there and put out Mackenzie Dern. But I think the difference here is that Rodriguez didn't really have the confidence in being able to stuff takedowns or be able to get back to her feet. Case in point, the second round where she gets taken down almost immediately. But good enough submission defense to not get subbed while Mackenzie Dern was enjoying four minutes and 20 seconds of control time in that second round on top of her. Tisha Torres, I think she's going to be more comfortable with her takedown abilities or confidence in her takedowns and her ability to get back to her feet, which should allow her to kind of be a little bit more free with getting her shots off and touching up Mackenzie Dern. Dern striking, sure, it looked good in the uh, Verna Jandaroba fight, but Verna Jandaroba is not a striker either. That We're going to see a huge difference in the striking, especially in this fight, and especially with the speed advantage that Tisha Torres is going to have here. So uh, I love the Tiny Tornado. She's one of my favorite fighters to bet on. Uh, I think I've only ever bet against her once, which was Jessica Andrade. That one seemed like a no-brainer. But uh, this is a good spot for her to go out there and uh, beat Mackenzie Dern, who you know might be trying to get back into the win column, especially after that gaffe against Marina Rodriguez last time around. So uh, give me Tisha Torres. Tisha Torres by decision will be like the official prop that I'm going to give out to you guys. But I might sprinkle the TKO a little bit, which uh, I think it's uh, – wow. Plus 850, plus 900 now. So even more reason for me to go out there and sprinkle a little bit on it. But I do think it will be the decision prop that hits the most here. Uh, even her straight up pro or money line plus 100, I think that's a damn good spot. But her decision line is plus 140 right now. So uh, pick your spot. If you have no confidence on either side, just take her money line. And I think you'll be sitting pretty with a little extra money in your pocket after this fight. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I got her by decision. I mean, it's Tisha Torres. Yeah. I'm not taking a sprinkle on TKO because it's it's Tisha Torres. Tisha Torres has 13 MMA wins uh, professionally, 11 of them by decision. She decisions almost everybody. The one TKO that she has is an eye injury, man, Preet, over someone who's making the UFC debut on short notice. Like, come on, come on. She does have a rear naked choke over Juliana Lima. But again, that's like 2017, five years ago. Uh, she's a decision machine. She actually low-key has a 7-0 amateur record with seven wins by decision. It, it's always been by decision with Tisha Torres. But what she does excellent is just volume, output. You know, she's someone that can go out and land 80, 90, 100 significant strikes, usually puts her foot on the gas, can fight for 15 hard minutes. Grappling, pretty decent. Takedown defense, pretty decent. But, I mean, if she can keep the fight standing, especially in the clinch where she's physically strong, you know, strike into the clinch, push you off, land short strikes on the inside, and then jump back out, Tisha Torres is going to be a lot of problems for a lot of people. When you consider the names of the people that have defeated her, Marina Rodriguez, Zhang Wiley, Joanny and Jacek, Jessica Andraj, Rose Namajunas, Carlos Esparza on The Ultimate Fighter. Come on, it's the creme to the creme. Only the best defeat won uh, Tisha Torres. And in Mackenzie Duren's case, like I just haven't seen the overall improvement from her quite yet. Her wrestling's just not quite good enough. She could potentially get Tisha down. But even if she does get her down, I don't think she's just going to submit her. I mean, Tisha Torres has never been finished, as you mentioned. But also, she was on top of Marina Rodriguez for four minutes. And even though she looked very slick and just transitioning very, very smooth, never was able to stick her with that one submission. So it's not as if if you hit the ground, you're immediately screwed. 
you could potentially give up one takedown drop around. Just make sure you're not giving up multiple takedowns. And when you bring up the fact that she's three for 28, what are the chances that she's going to get multiple takedowns here against Tisha Torres? Probably not great. Now, if you're Mackenzie Dern, who are you going to bring in to work with to improve your wrestling and improve your striking, improve all these things? Well, you got Vanessa DeMopoulos. Well, that's not really going to, it's not really going to help you in the wrestling and grappling department, is it? Okay, well, well, the grappling, definitely, she's good. But you know what I mean. You got Pyra Rodriguez. You had S Sabina Mazzo. You have a lot of people that are not really going to help you. Meanwhile, Tisha Torres goes out and brings out Miranda Maverick into this camp. And there's somebody that I want to use to prepare for someone like Mackenzie Dern. It's going to be Miranda Maverick. Well, sorry, sorry. Uh, one thing I just want to say, uh, in regards to Maverick and Torres, they are legitimate training partners, though. Like, they they are at the same gym, so they train together full-time, pretty much. That's not like she just seeked her out specifically for this. Well, the, I, I was, Even better is what I mean. <laughs> well, I would say I'm getting ready for an opponent who's someone that I can bring yeah. in this weight class or, you know, relatively in my division that can is just a physical specimen, very physically strong, you know, good in the clinch, good at getting you down. And when you do get down, is she as good as dirt on the ground? No, not not by any chance. But she's physically much stronger. Tisha's just got to use that strength, use that physicality, separate, and then she's going to box Mackenzie Dern up. Dern's striking has gotten marginally better, but it's not on the level of a Tisha Torres, who I think will just dance in and out on her for sure. Um, but yet Dern's shown in the Marina Rodriguez fight. She can take an excellent shot. I don't think she's getting submitted. She's durable. She's going to be there for the 15 minutes. She could fall on top. She could pull guard. She could have a couple spots, but I think the outright work rate of Tisha Torres will win at the end of the day. So yeah, I got her. I got her by decision and juice it up a little bit. And, uh, again, there's three money. There's three, like even money picks on this card. Tisha, um, Vandera, who was the other one? I guess maybe we gotta get Pichel. Uh, no, yeah, yeah, Pichel, Pichel, kind you know, of evenish. Yeah, yeah, minus one twenty-five is pretty even enough. But these are that's good. I agree with the price tags. I think that there's value there. I think the actual underdogs that we're going with, who I'm taking Aspen Lad and Josh Frem. Yeah, I mean, like am I? I'm not going to have young Frem though. You know what I'm saying? But but I I, I think that there's some still some value left on this card. The main focus has been on those top three fights, the two title fights, and obviously Chimaev, who's just everybody's darling these days. Uh, it's taken away from these little low-key Tisha Toros or Jared Vanderall spots that I think could be very profitable. Uh, I do want to say also, uh, Mackenzie Dern by sub plus 250. Again, I, I feel like it should be a little bit shorter considering that's mainly her path to victory in this fight. You know, if she doesn't get takedowns, uh, how is she going to win this fight? If she does get the takedown, you know, there is a good chance she could find the submission. It, will she be able to have enough control time from on top to win a decision? I'd be, I'd kind of be surprised. I think Tisha Torres would do a good enough job in terms of getting back to her feet and nullifying anything that Dern does. Because if Dern does keep her down, more than likely she will be able to get a submission. So plus two fifty, I think it should be closer, like plus one fifty, plus one sixty. So there is a little bit of value, at least in my eye, uh, on that Dern subline. But we're, we're we're team Tiny Tornado over here this week because I think she gets it done regardless. All right, let's move on to the three big fights now. Very excited for these ones. We got the return of Hamzat Shemaev taking on the biggest test to date in Gilbert Burns. We got minus 600 on Hamzat Shemaev, plus 400 on Gilbert Dorino Burns. I, I'm excited for this one. I think I might be excited for this one out of all the fights on the entire card because it is always a treat to see Hamza Chmaev go in there and perform. The guy just has this aura about him, right? And like, it, it seems like he's very, 
he's in on it in terms of his aura. He knows what he brings to the table, whether he's doing a vlog, whether he's doing an Instagram post, whether he's doing interviews, whatever it is, he knows the right things to say. And he just says, and gives us what we want. Somebody said, Oh, do you think Gilbert Burns will be your, you know, stiffest test of date? He goes, they're all the same brother. I come in, I do what I always do. I smash them and we move on. That's his, I love it. I fucking love it. Stick with it. And you can keep saying it until it doesn't happen. Will it happen this weekend against Gilbert Burns? I think so. Like, I, I've been a Gilbert Burns guy. I bet him against Tyron Woodley. I kind of like him. But I think when a push comes to shove, he's going to very much struggle with the top pressure here from Hamzat Shmaev. Now, it, it's tough to say that will ultra confidence given the level of competition that Hamzat has been going up against, you know, jumping from Li Jingliang all the way up to, to Gilbert Burns. But I truly think that this guy is a, a once-in-a-lifetime type of athlete that we're getting, right? It was Brian Stan five years ago talking about Hamzat Shmaev, shouting him out, not saying him by name because he didn't even know his name at the time because he didn't even have a professional MMA fight by that time. It was all lore, right? It was all the tales that they're hearing from uh, the All-Star Academy over there in Sweden about this guy just coming in and smashing these guys at the UFC level. Even guys that aren't even in his weight class. He's smashing 205 pounders and stuff from what I've been hearing. Now he's going to go in there against Gilbert Burns, who, to me, you know, it looks like he's trying to keep his confidence high here, but it also seems like he's putting on a bit of an act, right? Like it seems like he's like, oh, I'm in, I'm in for some shit, but I'm, I'm still going to go out there and give my best abilities. Like, did you, did you see that clip that was released yesterday of them meeting with where they're wearing towels? Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. He goes, bring the power, brother, <laughs> and Gilbert Burns is like, I'll okay. Like, I'll try. Like, he's trying to get in his head even before the fight. And I love it. I love everything that we have about Hamza Chmaev. But, uh, yeah, for me, it's, I think the Hail Mary knockout is more likely than the Gilbert Burns submission off of his back. Because how often do we see submissions off of uh, the back of somebody, right? And now against Hamza Chmaev, who seems to have very, very good top pressure ability to kind of float with his opponent and then just find or be one step ahead of him at almost every single time and then meeting them with ground and pound and punches and constant pressure. Like, we haven't seen – we haven't even seen, like, that from Khabib, right? Khabib back in the day used to lay and pray on guys back in the day. He would wait for the opportunity to posture up and throw down shots. But Hamza's always striking. This guy just does not stop striking when he's on top. He's always working to get a better position, trying to establish the position and then start raining down shots. I think it's going to be very difficult for Durinho to get much offense off here. I think he's going to end up on his back. I think that Hamza will be too big for him. And let's not forget, Hamza's one of those guys that wants to jump between 170 and 185. This guy's a big 170-er. And Gilbert Burns used to fight at 155 pounds. These, uh, Especially when they face off, uh, whether when, whether they do it today or tomorrow at the weigh-ins, you will see the obvious strength, height, and all those size advantages for Hamza Shmaev. And I think it's going to play a big part here against Gilbert Burns. Sure, Gilbert Burns is a great jiu-jitsu player, but I just don't know if he's going to have what it takes to uh, find the reversal, find a sweep, find that submission. Sure, the value is on Gilbert Burns based off of principles because of who he's fought and you know the fact that he was uh, uh, had a title shot uh, a couple fights ago. But I do think that this bores this Hamza Shmaev. I think he's the real shit, and I do think he gets him out of there. So, prop obvious got to be uh chimaev inside the distance this guy goes out there and looks for the finish at every single moment chimaev by tko is currently minus 105 i'd be surprised if he locks up with the submission but if he just batters uh burns and burns gives up his neck or something that wouldn't surprise me either uh chimaev inside the distance minus 210 
But again, shout out to FanDuel. Uh, Chmaev to win in round one or round two is minus 155. I love that spot. I think he gets it done within the first two rounds. And again, if you're still a little bit skeptical and you think that Burns can pull it off, go ahead and parlay the fight. doesn't go to decision at minus 300. I could see either guy getting a finish here. But for the most part, I think it's going to be Hamza Chmaev continuing in the, the legendary uh, status that he's trying to to make for himself. The the folklore is going to continue here. I think Chmaev runs through Gilbert Burns. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I can't really add anything, man. I mean, everything all week has been Chmaev. He's not even one of the title fights on the card, and yet everybody loves him. Everybody knows how good he is. Everyone's talking about how he's going to smash Gilbert Burns. I think he's going to smash Gilbert Burns. I'm in the same boat as everybody else. I'm sure everybody's heard it many times over. But yeah, I just think his pressure is going to be too much. I've never been a Gilbert Burns guy at all. Never. Not once. Never. He's got some talent. He's got some BJJ. You know, he's willing to go out there and swing his hands. He's a fighter's fighter. You know, I'll, I won't take away anything from that from him. But when you think about this division, you think about the good guys in the division, right? Uh, you know, the the Leon Edwards of the world, the Bilal Muhammad's of the world. He's not fun any of them. He's not really fun anybody. His career wins Wonder Boy fight, which was he clung on to two takedowns. Not a good fight. Doesn't do anything. He spends like eight minutes on top of Wonder Boy. Where's his vaunted jiu-jitsu then? Why doesn't he just lock up some great submission? Because really, you know, he's just looking to hold him down. His cardio is not good. His other wins include Tyron Woodley, who's released in his 40s. Damian Maya, who I think they're going to try to give one more fight, but he's in his 40s and he's more or less admittedly at the end of the road. Gunnar Nelson, who had retired for a few years before coming back and not looking particularly good a couple weeks ago. Konchenko's been released. Mike Davis is making his UFC debut at short notice. Obey Mercier is released. Dan Moretz released. Jason Sago is released. Lucas Dajewski is released. Christos Giagos is released. Andreas Stahl is released. Well, at what point did this guy just become some massive threat? Even his losses. Even his losses are to Michelle Prezeris, released. Rashad, Rashid Magomedov, released. Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker, who was, used to fight at 145. Dan Hooker, who's now currently irrelevant, more or less, at 155 pounds. That Dan Hooker knocks him out in the first round. So losses are not looking good. The wins are not looking good. They, they got nobody to fight Usman. He's just a warm body to basically have a quick layup for Usman. Usman comes in as a huge favorite. They try to drum up the storyline where it's like, oh, they're training partners. Guy comes in and swings on Usman early, does clip him. You can't take that away from him. And then gets dropped by a power jab once he tires out, once he quits. That's what's going to happen here. He's going to get tired. He's going to start thinking to himself, I don't really want to be here anymore. He's going to eat a hellacious amount of ground pound. He's going to quit. So it's going to be a TKO finish for Chemayev. And yeah, I would think it probably happened somewhere late in the second or into the third round. But uh, I would just take that TKO prop straight up for Chemayev. Uh, I do want to just quickly... Uh, uh address one comment somebody uh to my comment where i said we don't usually see uh submissions off of uh mma uh men's mma's backs we don't really see it often and the one guy said well paul craig has a bunch off of his back yeah paul craig is the exception to the rule right like <laughs> well, the interesting thing there is that paul craig's got a triangle choke and the triangle choke is russian kryptonite always has been dude you watch m uh, like m1 fights rcc fights it's like they generally get caught in triangles because they're a little they overexpose themselves with the ground and pound a little bit right so the triangle choke's always live i just think when you look at gilbert burns the last time he submitted a guy in the ufc was mike davis it's three years ago mike davis was making his debut on short notice up a weight class so that's not indicative of you're going to go out there and get some sweet submission. Besides that, he's gone to decision more often than not. And his last submission victory prior to that one was the Lucas Sajewski fight, which is six years ago. So I'm not seeing it. I don't think if the fight hits the ground, it's just instantly done. The thing with Paul Craig is like, 
yeah, for whatever reason, the fight hits the ground and you decide to stand in his guard, <laughs> you're in for a whole world of shit. In this case, I just think that Chimaev is going to be too much. Honestly, this sounds probably stupid, but if Chimaev was to fight Paul Craig, I would bet Chimaev at 205 pounds. I just think his style, his style is not get in your guard. His style is similar to Habib's where it's, I'm going to take a rear waist body lock and feed punches into your face until you give me your back or you flatten out. It's one or the other. By the way, Li Jing Li, they keep saying, oh, he's not fought in anybody. Jing Li Li was ranked 11th in the division. Yeah, so he was yeah. actually pretty good. And for the record, give me some plus money. I'd take Jing Li Li over Gilbert Burns. I really would. Because Burns may take him down and submit him, sure. But if he doesn't, it's going to become a, a, tr a classic leech fight where it becomes a brawl. And as you start getting tired and this big boy standing in front of you, you're getting knocked out similar to Santiago Ponzinibbio. I don't think he's a joke of opponent. He's very physically strong. And to just absolutely march through him like that does mean something. So as long as he's not bleeding out of his lungs because of COVID or like whatever is temporarily derailed him, this guy does look to be pretty legitimate. And... I just bet against Makaya for whatever stupid reason. Why did I do that? But because I wasn't really, does this kid don't look super legit to me, right? There's other guys that have undefeated records that don't look super legit to me. Then there's guys, you know, like Umar Nurmagomedov or Kamzat Shemaev that uh, look real legit to me. Those are the kind of guys I want to get behind. Uh, shout out to Jared Curry as well. Fight doesn't start round three, minus 170. Not a bad parlay piece either, especially if you don't want to pay the minus 300 on the fight doesn't go to decision. All right, Cody, let's get to the first title fight that we got up. Uh, we got Aljamain Sterling defending his bantamweight title against the guy that he took it from, Piotr Jan, who's coming in as the interim champion as he was able to uh, beat Corey Sandhagen back in October to get that strap. But he has his eyes on the undisputed title here that Aljamain Sterling is currently holding. So minus 475 on Piotr Jan, plus 375 the return on Aljamain Sterling. Interestingly enough, they were pretty much a pick when they first fought. Uh, you could even see certain spots where Aljamain Sterling was a slight favorite going into that fight against Piotr Jan. But after fumbling the bag in that first fight, well, actually, he made the bag that fight. But in terms of how that fight was going, uh, a lot of people jumping on the Piotr Jan side of things. Now, I was one of the few guys that were looking to fade Piotr Jan, right? The, the, uh, I faded him with Corey Sanhagen. I don't, I'm pretty sure I picked Aljamain Sterling the first time they fought, but I don't think I bet at that time. My, my concern with Purion has always been his slow starting, right? And his lack of volume at times. But the guy is like for Anderson Silva from back in the day in terms of just picking up on things early in fights and then using it against you the longer that a fight goes. So three-round fights are way more dangerous for Purion. Five-round fights, the guy just gets stronger as the fight goes on. Like he dropped round one to Corey Sanhagen and then just swept him for the rest of the fight because he got his tendency down, his tendencies down, was landing the perfect shots when he needed to, dropped him a couple of times. Absolute savage. Uh, the Aljamain Sterling fight. He won the first round on two judges scorecards. He dropped the second round on all three judges scorecards, but that's when Aljo started to slow down. And that's when we got Pierre Yan really starting to, you know, put the foot on the gas. Seemed like he was close to finishing Aljo in round four and round five. My, my reasoning for taking Aljo and Corey was their output. They can go out there and put output on uh, Purion and possibly stay safe with how they move and how they traverse the cage. That's what I thought. Purion's like, nah, dog. I just let him do that. I'm going to let them win the first round or something. And then after that, I'll eventually start to stalk them. I'll get their timing down, and I'm going to let my combinations go, and I'm going to get them out of there or win a decision. I think it's going to be very difficult for Aljamain Sterling to beat him. Now, to me, I from just memory, I thought Aljamain Sterling was just striking with him. But when you look at the numbers, it was one of 17 on takedown attempts. 
So I'd be surprised if he goes out there and tries to shoot 17 takedown attempts. If he goes out there and just tries to touch Piotr Jan from the outside, conserve his energy so that he can win at least three rounds, the first three rounds, maybe he can make a good case for himself once he gets to the decision. But I think that Piotr Jan will probably second or third round start to get the beat on him, start to stalk him, start to march him down, and start to land his strikes, maybe drop Aljo a couple times, and then I think in round four or round five, he eventually gets him out of there. Like, even when Sterling tries to take a, uh, a striking-heavy approach and tries to conserve his energy, I think that fight was like the Pedro Munoz fight. But even in that fight, he started to slow down later in that fight. Like, round three, you know, it starts to get a little bit shaky for him, but he still manages to pull out the victory. Now he has to do it against Piotr Jan over five rounds. He tried in the first fight. I don't think it's going to work out for him this time around. I'm going Pyotrion. Pyotrion inside the distance, I wouldn't mind either. But again, shout out to FanDuel. I love the fact that we have access to FanDuel now. Uh, round four or five decision for Pyotrion is hanging around minus 170. That's a spot that I'm looking to take advantage of. But uh, you can take his round props, round four, round five, which is currently sitting at uh, plus... 1200 and plus 1400 respectively uh but even Piotr Jan inside the distance that's currently sitting at uh plus 140 give me Jan inside the distance round four or five decision I'm taking all of that how are you seeing this one go down yeah, I don't know that many people that are against, going against Peter Jan, but uh, I ain't one of them. I can see the path of victory for Aljamain Sterling. I think using the big octagon, staying to the outside, conserving himself, and using the punch output is the way to do it. But even then, man, you got to have an absolute masterclass performance because Corey Sandhagen outstruck Peter Jan in four of the five rounds, and yet he still loses. Why? Because it's like even though you're putting up two, three to one in the volumes, <clears throat> every time he hits you, just too much power. He gets your attention. He lands the meaningful shots. That's what judges like to see at the end of the day. Beyond that, as as close as the first fight was, it was very close until Aljo gets tired. If he fought the proper game plan, it could have been even better. Sandhagen fight close could have been better. But imagine this, dude. Just ima imagine you and I fight, and it is a close to the death fight where you end up getting disqualified in an illegal knee, but you're kicking my ass by the end and I'm gassed out and everyone says, well, you know what? Let's run it back. Cause we thought Manfred should have won, but it's a bullshit DQ. Let's run it back. And then instead of running it back immediately, I go and I get like a major neck surgery and get sidelined for the better part of a year. And you go put in another world championship uh, training camp, go and fight another guy in another headlining affair, five rounds, nip tuck, gain that experience, gain that confidence. 29 years old, prime of your life, and now we're going to roll it back? Like, that's such a tough task for Aljo. He's coming essentially off the bench, off a major injury, to fight the best guy in the world? Like, Jesus, man, it sounds like an insurmountable task. But I think he's super talented, and again, I think he could fight a proper game plan that would be avoid this guy, stay to the outside, use your jab, use your kicks, use your speed advantage. He's, got a, he's a slow starter. If you can bank the first two rounds, you only need to win one of the next three. You can squeeze this thing out. But I never bet against Peter Jan, and now it's not going to be the first time. I had him against Aljamain Sterling the last time. I thought he was going to win. I thought he should have won. Shit happens. This time around, I think it's just going to be a continuation of this guy. I just think he's the best in the world. He puts way too much pressure on you. Um, but you know what I'm like low-key almost interested in? Just very degenerate. One of these things that I, I would never put a ton of faith in. But the draw. The draw is interesting to me. Because I think Aljamain Sterling, not because of a point deduction. Because if Aljamain Sterling comes out, fights an excellent game plan, outpoints him in you know a few of these rounds, and is able to win three rounds, going into fourth or fifth, he's going to get shit kicked in one of the fourth or fifth round. And he might get dropped. You mentioned it yourself. You think that Aljamain could get dropped later the fight goes. He could get hurt. It could end up in a 10-8 Peter Jan round. The later the thing goes and Aljamain gets tired, 
Again, you're coming off the bench essentially to fight a guy. And I know he trains with Mural Devashvili. I know he trains with guys that are cardio machines, but it's a different type of cardio. Mural's just wrestling, right? He's just a wrestler, right? This dude is beating the crap out of you. And last but not least, people that I mentioned, while Jermaine Sterling's wrestling and you know, he's got BJJ black belt. He's got good submissions. He tried to wrestle Peter Young the last time, and Peter Young quite literally just shucked him to the ground. Like it was, he was just tossing him effortlessly to the ground. He's, he's just not physically strong enough to take down Peter Young and make it a wrestling heavy game plan without gassing out. So he's just going to stay to the outside, use the jab, use the kicks, and try to survive as long as he can and bank three rounds. But Young will eventually break through. So. I got Peter Yan. Uh, my mind's telling me I'm going to hit this three and a half and this four and a half. The three and a half is at minus 170 right now. The over four and a half is at minus 130. I also think the fight is going to probably go the distance at minus 122. Algebrae Sterling, very durable. And again, I think he's going to conserve himself a little bit better this time. Yan seems like one of the best strikers you've ever seen, but he's a little light on one shot KO power. Like he generally just beats the crap out of you for a prolonged period of time before eventually finding the kill shot. So it's possible that Aljamain is able to survive and that Peter Yan by points, eh, it's plus 125. It's not quite good enough for me. So I think I would take the over three and a half, the over four and a half, fight goes the distance, Peter Yan straight up. Well, Peter Yan straight up, you can't do that. You got to put him in parlays. And unfortunately, I'm going to have to probably make it a, a three ticket guy at the top this week and and go with Chimaev. Um, Chimaev, Peter Yan, and uh, as we're about to talk about right now, Mr. Volkanovic himself. Uh, I, I'm glad that you actually touched on the neck injury for uh, uh Sterling because uh, I did have uh, his coach Eric Nixick, uh, who actually did maybe half of the training camp with him this time around. He said, but uh, Nixick was saying that they had to make a lot of adjustments during that training camp for the first fight to kind of center around the, the neck injury, right? If he showed up one day to the gym and his neck was hurting, they had to kind of alter some of the training uh, and, and what they were planning on doing that day. But now they said after he got that surgery done, he feels 100%, feels good to go. They were able to do all the rounds that they needed to do with him. So maybe we see a slight improvement from this time around. And I will say this, we're unanimously on the Peoria side. But let's not take anything away from uh, Aljamain Sterling. That guy is probably the number two bantamweight in the world, right? There is this whole narrative out there that he, you know, that he sucks, that he's a clown, all that type of stuff, all because of the knee that, the, that he took, right? All because of that first fight. But look at what he did to Corey Sandhagen. Look at what he's been doing to everybody else. Like, the guy is a legitimate talent. He's really good. But then there's Piotr Jan, who's just like this next-level beast that we haven't really seen at 135 pounds in a long time. Do you take anything away from that, uh, the neck thing that, that I kind of mentioned here and the fact that he had to, you know, uh, cater to it in the first training camp, but now he's 100% all systems go? Yeah, and listen, I mean, we live in a crazy world now where modern medical technology is just so unbelievably advanced in 2022 that something that seems major, something that would have certainly been a career ender a decade ago is just all of a sudden a small procedure. And uh, I don't know if you're into hockey at all, but there's a guy, Jack Eichel, right? So he plays for Buffalo, he's a stud, and he hurts his neck. So Buffalo's like, you need to go get this surgery. He's like, no, 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 I don't want to get the surgery, I want to get this procedure thing is this procedure is like not fda approved and it's like there's no real proven track record on guys using in athletes and buffalo's got a huge insurance policy on the kid right so they're like no you can't go get some wonky ass procedure you need to get the surgery he says no decides to hold out his contract they trade him to las vegas because vegas is like do whatever you want kid <laughs> so he goes and he gets this procedure it's like six months quicker healing time and he, he's back playing in the nhl now and he's sick. You know what I mean? Like he hasn't even skipped a beat. The kid's unreal. So I think, yeah, you're young. You can go, you can get this stuff done. You can come back from it. 
Clint mentioned this a few times, and he's 100% on the money. If you see Aljamain Sterling's photos of him online, he is in unreal shape. The guy looks in disgustingly good shape. He's no doubt going to be ready to go at it, but I'm a firm believer of you, your timing. Everything comes to you from being in the gym. Everything comes to you from grinding. Everything comes to you from just putting in that work rate. I spend a lot of time in rooms watching that it's not the best guy in the room. It's who shows up more often, yeah. who shows up six days a week, who goes twice a day, who does the dieting as well, who's willing to commit themselves to it 100%. Because the most talented guy generally is just not willing to do the work. They fan out. It's guys that are willing to stick there. Aljamain's one of the most talented guys in the world, no doubt about it. But when you talk about the other great Bantamweights, right? Well, what about Jose Aldo? Yeah, I'd like to see Sterling versus Jose Aldo. Well, what about TJ Dillashaw? Love to see it. What about Devosh Vili? Or what about a Dominic Cruz? Or what about a Marlon Chito Vera or a Song Yudong? Or a, well, I guess everybody falls out a little bit after that. A Ricky Simone. What I'm saying is Aljo's beaten Corey Sanhagen. He's got the win over Peter Yawn, but it's a little bit light prior to that. Like, look at his other wins. Pedro Munoz, who's irrelevant in the division. Jimmy Rivera, who's cut. Cody Stamen, who's who's irrelevant in the division. I like the guy, but he's you know he's got a great first name anyways. Uh, Brett Johns, who's been released from the promotion. Hennon Burrell's released from the promotion. Augusto Mendez is released from the promotion. Johnny Eduardo, Takeo Mizugaki, Hugo Viana, Cody Gibson... All of these guys are released from the promotion. Hell, even his losses to Brian Caraway and Marlon Marais don't look very good in hindsight now, do they? So where did this idea that he was the best guy or the second best guy in the planet come from? I don't know. He took down and choked out Corey Sanhagen. Well, that's actually how you beat Corey Sanhagen, especially two years ago. You know, guy can't wrestle all that well. Take him down, take his back, choke him out. There's not enough I've seen out of Aljo. I think he's supremely talented. I think he's got all the skills in the world. He needs to fight the actual proper game plan. And over a three-round fight, he could beat Peter Young. Over a five-round fight? Yeah, I'm not quite seeing it, right? So they say cream rises to the top, and Peter Young is that guy. Like, the days of beating him in three-rounders are over. you got to do something in a five-rounder and really put it on him because uh, otherwise, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a rough night at the office. I like it. I like it. All right. Let's get to our main event here. But first, let's give one last shout out to a couple of the sponsors here. Shout out to CloudBet, the world's first crypto sports book. Uh, they are not available in the States, but like I said, you can get them pretty much anywhere else. So make sure you guys go check them out. Fast withdrawals, low margins, high limits. And then also shout out to Bet Online as well. They'll give you a 50% welcome bonus up to $1,000. They're one of the best books, especially for regional MMA. So if you like betting on KSW, LFA, um, all those all those regional shows they definitely have you covered fury fc all those shows they have you covered and they are also usually one of the first ever bookies to drop early lines so if you want to get in on the action or some of these early uh early pro uh, early money line uh odds that drop uh bet online is definitely one where you want to get your action all those links are in the description below so make sure you guys check it out and one last thing about cloud bet uh now that you guys have heard the majority of mine and cody's bets it seems like only two or picks only two fights we've kind of uh, gone different on. So if you like Josh Fremd and if you like uh, Julio Arce, you're going to be betting on the Cody side. But if you like uh, Anthony Hernandez and you like Daniel Santos, I think that plus 320-ish on me is not too bad on CloudBets. So make sure you guys go check that out. And also, if you think we end up with the same amount of right picks at the end of the day, the draw is sitting at about plus 320 as well. So make sure you guys go uh, bet on that. That's going to be through CloudBet. Link is in the description below. Let's see how that plays out. 
All right, Cody, main event time, featherweight title on the line. We got Alexander the Great Volkanovsky, who's riding a 20-fight winning streak. Absolutely insane. Going up against Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie, in terms of odd odds, uh, heavy chalk here on Volkanovsky. Coming in at minus 800, plus 500, the return on the Korean zombie. Talk about some disrespect on my guy, Korean zombie, but... The, I feel like Volkanovski should be the obvious winner in this side. However, there are a couple interesting things that Korean Zombie brings into this fight that I don't think that Volkanovski has truly faced in the past, at least not in his last several fights. And that's power. Korean Zombie has weird power that he can just put on guys and get them out of there. Like, just watch his run, uh, you know, since the, the the Mark Hominick fight where he deaded him in seven seconds, but he followed that up with another uh, a solid amount of knockout victories, the Nato Moicano victory, the Dennis Bermudez victory. Like, he's just going out there and starching these guys. And Volkanovski, great fighter, probably one of the best fight IQs in the game. Uh, he can be hit. He can be clipped. So Vulcan, uh, Korean Zombie is absolutely live to go out there and find the knockout here. Uh, the knockout prop is currently paying minus, or sorry, plus 900, plus 1,000 on the Korean Zombie. But outside of that, you know, you got to feel that Volkanovski will do a good job in terms of controlling the majority of this fight. I had the Korean Zombie's coach, Santino DeFranco, on my show yesterday. Make sure you guys check out the Coach's Main Event Marathon where you guys get a little more breakdowns for some of the coaches there. But Santino was saying his uh, prediction is going to be a round two or round three knockout of Volkanovski. Uh, and he believes that they can set up some traps early in this fight that they will eventually pay off the later that this fight goes. But Volkanovski is just so goddamn good in terms of setting up traps of his own, staying safe in certain spots. And something that Eric Nixon touched on on that show was that he does a really good job in terms of closing out rounds like if he feels a round is very close he'll either go for a takedown he'll try to get some more striking off but he's very aware of how a certain round is going and that's why he keeps ending up getting most of these decisions say what you want about the second max holloway decision whether you he deserved it or not he still did enough to make it look good to the judges for him to go out there and get his hand raised once the uh, decision was read he is one of the best fighters out there. Again, he's, it's very tough to pinpoint exactly what he's good at. Like, he's not a crazy power puncher. He's not a crazy jiu-jitsu wizard. He's not this crazy wrestler. But he's so good at putting all those things together and implementing it with a very good game plan. And I think that's what we're going to see here against the Korean Zombie. Um, in terms of props, I'm seeing a lot of people like the Volkanovski inside the distance. I do think that he's going to try to stay as safe as possible in this fight, not drag this into a war like the Korean zombie would like. And he just plays it safe and goes out there and wins this fight over 25 minutes. Uh, Volkanovski via decision currently sits at minus 150, minus 125 at certain spots. Uh, and even the, the fan duel, like I said, fan duel round four or five decision, that's even at minus 200, which is kind of crazy. But I wouldn't mind taking that little extra just in case he does find a big blow against a Korean zombie here late in this fight and gets the finish late. But I think early we'll see him try to play it safe, try to put uh, Jung through the ringer a little bit, through the grinder, clinching, takedowns, whatever it is. I think we'll see him very much excel in those spots. But I do think he controls the majority of this fight and wins a decision. Give me Volkanovski via decision. Minus 150, minus 125. Sign me up. I feel... <clears throat> sorry. I feel like we're going to get a slightly different take from Cody here. So please, Cody, take over before my voice gives up on me. 
Yeah, yeah, I got Alexander Volkanovsky. I mean, a lot of the time when you're discussing great fighters and what do they do right and what do they do wrong and what could potentially go wrong, it's like you're looking for these red flags, right? When you think about Kamzat Chemaev, it's like, well, can he take a punch to the face? Because I haven't really seen it. You know, can he overcome adversity? Can he fight his way out of a submission? These are all great question marks. Can he fight three rounds? I mean, it looks like he can. It looks like he can fight for days. But you actually just don't quite know. When you look at the Peter Yawn situation, you know, it's like, well, he's a bit of a slow starter. And, you know, what if he gives up the first two rounds and now he's fighting 0-2 coming out of the pocket? Like, there's things that could go wrong. With Volkanovski, I just don't see it, man. Everything he does, he does well. His striking is elite. His wrestling is elite. His cardio is elite. His durability is elite. His ring IQ is elite. I thought he won the second Max Holloway fight. Loses the first two rounds, but he makes the adjustments. Focuses on the leg kick. Puts an emphasis on it. Now it's the championship rounds, four and five. Got to dig deep and win those. And I think he does. I think he's got big wins over guys like Jose Aldo. I think he's got big wins over some of the best names in the sport. And I think he's quickly making himself that 145-pound goat. But it was that last fight with Brian Ortega, right? Ortega's just made so many strides in his his striking game. He literally beat the crap out of the Korean zombie in a strictly striking affair. The guy's striking has just come leaps and bounds. How can Volkanovski deal with this new improved striking? Well, he absolutely just mauls him in the striking department. But what if he was to get caught in a Brian Ortega submission? Say a guillotine choke, which Brian's got one of the best in the world. Say a triangle choke, where his name's literally T-City because he's got one of the best triangle chokes. Like, would he be able to get out of something like that? And he does. Guy doesn't got much of a neck, but he's able to squeeze that baby out and, and just get back to business. You know, makes the adjustments, perseveres. Brian Ortega is extremely durable, and the ref could have stopped that fight on a few occasions, but they let him fight it through. They're not going to allow Korean Zombie to take that prolonged beating. I think that the longer this thing goes, eventually, maybe he doesn't get tired, but the damage is going to start um, amounting. He just went 25 minutes with Dan Ige. Doesn't even land 100 significant strikes. He went 25 minutes with with uh, with Brian Ortega. He lands like 64 significant strikes. Korean Zombie is a good striker, but it's not like he's got huge, crazy volume. The last time he had crazy volume, he goes against Yair Rodriguez, lands about 124, and eventually does get himself knocked out. When you look at Alexander Volkanovsky, like, he, he's going to eclipse that big time. He can land 130, 140, 150. He can land 200 significant strikes if he need be. He's just going to continuously put that pressure on you and break you down. And so Korean Zombie, I remember this. He was my favorite fighter once upon a time back in the day. And you remember how it was. He comes out of the WEC, and he's just got all the hype in the world. But I'll never forget it. They said this guy can't get knocked out. It's just he's the they call him the Korean zombie because he's just chin unbelievable. You watch the Leonard Garcia fight, it's so crazy. And then George Roop kicks him in the head. Yeah, the out. head kick. Yeah, yeah it was dude. crazy. Shout dude. out to George Roop. Yeah, George Roop's like a six foot two featherweight. Right? Yeah. He's so big. But uh he just like boots him in the head. And I remember everyone was just like, Oh, well, I guess you can knock him out. And since then, it's not as if he's fought in a ton of power punches. Like, he fought a very young Dustin Poirier, and he got his arm dislocated against yes. Jose Aldo. And then he takes a long gap. But I was telling Paul and I was telling Clint the same thing. Look at his guys that he's fought since he's come back. Dennis Bermudez, not a power puncher. Yeah, Rodriguez is a volume guy, but not a power guy. Hanato Makano, not a power guy. Frankie, an aged veteran version of Frankie, not a power guy. Brian Ortega is a volume guy. And, of course, Dan Inge, which I'm not really sure what he does good these days. But he's not fought someone that's going to put an absolute ferocious beating on him for 25 minutes the way Volkanovski will, and I think that'll eventually just break him the longer the thing goes. If there's one camp, I'd say, hey, if you were going to be, if you're going to pull off one of the biggest upsets I've seen, uh, this would be a good camp go to. He'd be fight ready, so he actually yeah. is in the best place he could be for this fight. It's just there's still so much that you can do with your physical abilities, and I just don't think he's got the physical abilities to be Alexander Volkanovsky. Last but not least, it's not as if Korean Zombie is the number two guy in the world. 
He's just a warm body. He's there. He's going to put up an entertaining fight, and it's going to raise Volkanovski's stock, and it's still going to be another one of these thrilling, entertaining, classic Korean zombie scraps. But they're just basically waiting for Max Holloway to get himself into a, another fight with Volkanovski or somebody to present themselves. But uh, this is more like a feel-good story more than like a legitimate title fight. Yeah, I like that. I, I, I The fan of me is obviously cheering for Korean zombie and i'm sure you're cheering for the same thing but i'm sure your money your bank account and all that is cheering for the uh, alexander volkanovsky side here um all right so that is pretty much a wrap on all the breakdowns here we'll get into the three best prop bets for you guys in a second but just for the sake of that uh that cloud bet uh wager that we have where it's uh, me versus cody on picks we'll just quickly run through what our uh, uh actual picks are and i think again we only differ on two of them. So I'll start it off. I got Volkanovsky, um, Piotr Jan, Hamzat Shmaev, Tisha Torres, Vince Pichel, Ian Gary, Jerzinho Rosenstrike, Aspen Ladd, Mike Malat, Jared Vandera, Anthony Hernandez, Kay Hansen, and Daniel Santos. Cody, do you want to quickly go over your picks? Yeah, so officially we are go. Oh, let me just get the exact order here. Uh, I just dropped the... Exact bout order. Uh, okay, yeah. So officially, we are going with from the prelims up. The fuck? Julio Arce, Kay Hansen, dog number one. Uh, Josh Rem, dog number two. Jared Vandera, even money. Uh, we're gonna go with Mickey Gall. We're gonna go with Aspen Ladd, dog number three. Yeah, sorry, sorry, you got Mickey Gall or Mike Malad? Yeah, sorry, sorry. I got I got Mike Malad. I'm not <laughs> taking Mickey Gall. Yeah, and we're going Aspen Ladd, is dog number three. Yeah, Arizona Rosenstruck. Uh, Ian Gary, Vince Bichel, Hamza Chemaev, Peter Yan, and Alexander Volkanovsky. Yeah, so officially we've got a few underdogs and a few even money picks. But uh, yeah, I think we're going to need a couple bounces to go our way. But ultimately, this is not a bad looking card. I think there's going to be some good spots. It's just who's going to be that apple pie shader, right? Because I can tell you for sure if Peter Yan, Volkanovsky, or Chemaev loses, there's a lot of money being lost this weekend, right? Yeah. Those are the anchoring parts everybody's parlays everybody's plays kind of anchored in towards those it's what's going to be in that second line i like torres i like gary i like lads probably underdog with a card i like vandera nah, the rest of it <laughs> smell that it smells it's shitty it smells shitty it smells shitty right so try to try to avoid the shit the best you can I love it. I love it. All right. Let's get into our three best prop bets. But first, let me let you guys know who will be joining me on tomorrow's Ultimate Weigh-In Show. I got another coach for you guys that I can't wait to talk to. We got Mr. Elliot Marshall coming on the show yeah, the uh, from Easton Training Center. Uh, you see him in a bunch of corners. Very sharp dude. Uh, he has his own podcast with uh, Eric Nixick as well. Um, very, very busy dude. I was glad that I was able to track him down and get some good time. That's going to be over on my channel. So make sure you guys go check that out. Manpreet Jazz, that is the channel now, not MMA Locker Night. But that's what we're, what we're going to be going with. So make sure you guys go check that out. That's 3 p.m. Eastern, getting our last-minute thoughts, especially with the Waynes being out of the way. Uh, we'll be able to give you guys a little bit more um confidence in some of these picks especially the aspen lad fight so we're definitely going to be looking at what she looks like on the scales but we will go over it one last time and you guys will be able to get some great analysis from my guy elliot marshall all right let's get into the three best prop bets and i'll kick things off as always first up we're going rosenstrike via ko minus 110 
Uh, again, I think he'll be losing the majority of this fight, but it would only take one shot for him to land on Tybura, and I think he gets him out of there. So I'm going Rosenstrike via KO. Secondly, I'm going to go Vince Pichel round three plus 1,000. It's been a long time since I had a round three prop to give to you guys, but I feel quite good about Pichel here. Uh, I feel like Madsen is going to be forced to wrestle in this fight. We know his cardio does not fare well when he is forced to wrestle. And even though Pichel isn't a notorious finisher, it all comes down to specific matchups. Let me just remind you guys of Sajar Eubanks versus Elise Reed. Sajar Eubanks not getting any finishes in the UFC or, you know, for the fact that like the last six years before that fight, and she was able to get the finish all because of Styles. And I think that this style specifically from Forum from hell Pichel, uh will be perfect for him to go out there and get the round three ko again another one that i'll plug for you guys here's round three slash decision on FanDuel plus 130 again if he doesn't get him out of there in the third round i still think he can do enough to win a decision uh those are my two favorite for that specific fight and then lastly i'm gonna go tisha torres via decision plus 140 i really like her in this spot i already have two units on her straight up at her money line on plus 100 but uh, her decision will likely be the best prop to hit Unfortunately, John, I'm not sure where he's been, but he has no picks for this week. So I got to move on to this next one. And Cody, you can take over with what you got. Hell yeah, I'm pumped up. We're going to start off with a little K Hansen by decision plus 275. Uh, this one just seems real juicy to me. Again, you can find it between 260 and plus 275. K Hansen signed a four fight UFC deal. This is the fourth fight of her deal. She's lost her last two. I mean, it's time to go out there and get a victory. I think she knows what needs to be done. If she wrestles this thing to the ground, she'll be okay. If she strikes in spurts eventually ties her up for the takedown, she's going to be fine. And, of course, I think she does have the better grappling. So once it does hit the ground, she should be able to neutralize her controller. It's just a wide-out price, and I, I like it, to be honest with you. And then we're going to move off the greasy prelims right over to the good fights. Chimaev, Chimaev by KO. I'm not alone in the thought process on this one. If you can get a better price somewhere, jump on it. But, again, I just think that it's going to be pressure more than anything else. I mean, a lot of people will say, oh, he's, he hasn't beaten anybody. But, you know, the interesting thing to me is that first time I had heard, ever heard about this guy is because a video circulated online where he body kicks uh, Alex Gustafson and folds him in a sparring session at All-Stars. I never saw that Brian Stan clip until like two days ago or whatever, yesterday, whenever they released it, where he's talking about there's a guy in All-Stars right now in Sweden, just, he's smoking high-level guys. This has been a continuation for him, and he's got the mindset. I mean, everyone loves his interviews. The best thing I like about him is they're like, how do you know you want to be a fighter? And he's like, oh, I see Conor McGregor, and then uh, I, oh, I know I'd smash him, so I'm going to make the money too. And it's just like, oh, what about Uzma? It's like, oh, Uzma broken. I smash. And it's like, what about Israel Adesanya? It's like, he's one-dimensional. I smash. It's like, I believe him, dude. He believes him. And that's the main thing. That's a dangerous weapon is when you believe how good you could potentially be. He's a dangerous, dangerous man. I think he breaks burns at some point. Is he going to smash everybody, Covington and Usman and first-round stoppages? Like, that remains to be seen. He's got a ways to go, but Burns ain't that guy. So this is a good spot for him to look good, and I think he'll do that, minus 105. And then finally, got to cop it off with Alexander Volkanovsky. I'm going to take him uh, inside the distance, specifically TKO or KO, which is plus 200. 25 minutes is a really long time to be trapped in there with somebody, especially someone like Alexander Volkanovsky that's going to be continuously coming after you. You saw a huge discrepancy in skill between him and Brian Ortega standing. And you saw that straight, that same discrepancy in skill between Ortega and Volkanov and uh, Korean Zombie. Not to use MMA math for you, what I'm saying is that Volkanovsky is a guy that win or nobody beats the guy so far, but well, at least in the UFC, but either you survive a decision or he takes you out, regardless of the outcome, you take a 
ferocious beating in that process. Korean Zombie now, he's 35 years old, I believe. He's getting a little bit older. He, as I mentioned in the breakdown, he hasn't really taken on some of these dominant power punchers, pressure guys that are really going to put that sustained beating on you the way Volkanovski can. And so for plus 200, for him to get him outside, uh, inside the distance, I, I honestly do think it's going to you know trend towards that direction. So... I think that there's a lot of other good props on the card that you can get behind, but these ones feel like they're very generous odds. There you guys go. Three best prop bets for me and Cody. Once again, shout out to CloudBet where you guys can bet either me or Cody getting more picks, right? Again, there's only two fights that we're differing opinions on. So make sure you guys go check out CloudBet. Link is in the description below as well as uh, Bet Online as well. Link is in the description below. Shout out to those two bookies for supporting the show. And most importantly, shout out to the All Star for putting us on their platform to provide betting advice for their uh viewership and their fan base and most importantly thanks thanks to you guys uh the 80 of you that are still with us in the live chat appreciate the love appreciate the support appreciate the passion from you guys as well to go out there and uh, stick your flag in the ground on certain matchups and certain sides uh every week we do this on a week-to-week basis picking 12 fights a week 13 fights a week we're not going to get them all right but we're going to do our damn best to try to put as much money in your pockets and get the best value out of some of these fights uh cody anything you want to say on the back end here and then i'll wrap this thing up no, that's about it, man. It's a fun card. I was uh, enjoy talking to you for the better part of two hours, breaking down some matchups, getting those last second little little draws in. Um, yeah, listen, we got pretty much the same reins. We're different on two fights, and I can't look you in the eye and tell you I'd make a shoey bet with you on either of them. They're just they're just close fights. Like I can see Wiley Cat coming through. I could see I could see Anthony Hernandez coming through. I could see my two selections coming through. I could see a split in this thing one one. Everything's on the table, no doubt about it. Uh, you are you are the value side this week in the bet, but uh, hopefully hopefully I'm hoping that uh, we can put together the proper lineup, hit multiple tickets, make it a good profitable weekend, and then get back on the stretch of UFCs. There's also a Bellator next weekend, so tons of stuff to look forward to. Tons of good spots coming up this summer, and yeah, this would be a good time UFC 273 to uh, get that momentum seriously going and and hit beyond a ticket or two. Last time out, the blades like we hit the top ticket. Latifi fight got canceled. So, you know, it wasn't it wasn't bad, but it wasn't a clean two tickets. This week, hopefully we hit a nice clean two. And if we can stretch it out to three because of those even money plays, it'd be profitable. So I'm optimistic as always. Thanks to you uh, guys that joined in, the 80 viewers that are still live, the couple hundred that were in earlier. And obviously it's difficult to say it's 1230 on a Thursday and drop everything you're doing. But the fact that you are listening in or you might catch it on play, we really do appreciate the support as always. Yes, sir. And I believe that this starts a huge stretch of runs for consecutive UFC fights all the way until the end of May. So I think that's what, six, seven, eight weeks of straight UFC fights. Get your fix while you can, because I know you guys are going to love to do it. That one week off threw me completely off. Now I'm just ready to get back geared and get get some of these bets under our belt. All right, Cody, as always, appreciate you joining me on Pay-Per-View Fight Weeks. Make sure you guys follow him on Twitter at CJ Safdick. Make sure you guys follow me on Twitter and Instagram at MMALOTN. I'll be back tomorrow, like I said, on my channel 3 p.m eastern to talk to elliot marshall one last time about this card if you guys want to hear our perspectives make sure you guys go check that out and lastly shout out to the all-star once again for having us on their platform good luck on your best this week people and uh let's go uh, usually i end this off with war somebody who, who who's our consensus that we feel the best about is it tisha torres is it tisha torres that we're gonna go with uh, we definitely well i mean we got the three top fights i'm sure we're all on the same okay page. Let, but let, yeah but, but if tisha comes through then that's gonna be something that juices up the value big 
But let's okay. say war war Aspen lag because if she is she your there bigger, we go. Do you have a bigger dog on the card? That's my biggest dog on the card. That, that, that would be my biggest dog. That would be my yeah. Biggest so dog there you go. Dog of the card or Aspen lad. War Aspen lad and shout out to her mom for the OnlyFans as well. All right, mm -hmm. peace out. Love you guys. Good luck on your best this week.